Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Hello and welcome to Geek History Lesson. I am Jason, all the Superman ages inman. I am Ashley Victoria Robinson. Welcome to your mind university because you have stumbled onto the podcast where we take one character, construct, or super person from pop culture and teach you everything you need to know about it in about an hour, except this week we're doing something completely different. This one, this is what we might call our first mega episode. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, so um, dun, dun, dun. very soon, uh, possibly next week, you're going to hear, uh, you know, a new episode called Superman the Dark Age, which is going to cover Superman from 1985 to the year 2000. Now, this is part of a series that we've done. And we thought instead of asking you listeners to go back into our feed, to dig through our feed and listen to our three previous Superman histories, we would put them all together for your convenience into one giant massive episode. So this episode uh, because at the time of this recording, I have no idea what I'm going to call this. I'm just throwing that out there right now. <laughs> future Jason is going to figure out the title of this. I, I, I'm I, very excited to see what Future mm-hmm. Jason comes up with. He's a smart guy. But uh, sometimes. Uh, <laughs> do you think he's gotten smarter over the years of this podcast? Or I think so. Okay, yeah, for I sure. hope so. Mm-hmm. He's gotten more super. I know that. For sure. Uh, so in this episode is episode 108, Superman, the Golden Age. Mm-hmm. Episode 207, Superman, the Silver Age. Mm-hmm. And episode 357, Superman, the Bronze Age. Now, I also did not do good and I didn't look it up the years of this. But episode 108 is in our third year of the podcast. Mm-hmm. So you're going to get to hear past... It's going to be a really interesting You're documentary. Going to the evolution of editing yeah. and sound quality. And our microphones changing yeah, yeah, yeah. as we explain basically Superman's entire history from 1938 to 1970, all in one episode. And it'll be a perfect primer for an upcoming episode, Superman the Dark Age from 1985 to 2000. Again, these characters are so big. Superman's such a large character that we had to break up his history because he's a character that deserves nothing less. There you go. So it's going to, this is going to be fun. It's, it, this also easily with this story of recasting it's going to be this is going to be like a three-hour episode it's going to be our longest episode enjoy it while you make a cross-country trip there you go (laughs) enjoy and enjoy past ashley enjoy the the past references to like uh, i think 2017 (laughs) you know something like that yeah Uh, enjoy that uh any other things you think we should say about superman the golden age superman the silver age and superman the bronze age they're great episodes I think so. And That's the only reason and, we kept doing it. And they're consistently beloved. So you mm-hmm. will beloved them when you listen to them. All right. So take yourself up, up, and away. Enjoy past a, Ashley. Enjoy past Jason. And tolerate a GHL. Because a couple of these episodes existed before the employment of intern cat Brago. That's true. So I, I think Golden Age and Silver Age existed before intern cat Brago. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how we made the podcast without him back then. And I think you will be able to hear the difference. Uh, Definitely, for sure. Yeah. So go up, up, and away and fly into our Superman histories from the past. Enjoy.
Hello and welcome to Geek History Lesson. I'm Jason. Krypton has blown up Inman. I am Ashley Victoria Robinson and welcome to your Mind University because you have stumbled onto the podcast where we take one character, construct, or last son of Krypton from popular culture and teach you everything that you need to know about them in about an hour. And today we are finally, finally tackling the Man of Steel himself. That's right. This little known hero known as Superman. Many people I don't think read his comic books anymore. No. Uh, but we're finally tackling him. He's been requested for for a long time, we've gone 108 episodes without talking about the Man of Steel. Uh, Superman, one of my favorite superheroes of all time, because I'm from his home state. And we're kind of talking about him because we're in the middle of Batman v Superman hysteria. Yeah, we sure are. Which mainly exists in Ohio, I've heard. Oh, yeah. Midwest. You <laughs> they know. love the Superman. You know, I actually know the state of Kansas, actually. My home state is going nuts about Batman v Superman. There you go. Go nuts Kansas. they are. They love wheat, and they love their Superman. <laughs> and they uh, love you. So, before we start this podcast, about Superman, um, you may be wondering, why are we calling this Superman the Golden Age? Mm. I don't know if you're wondering this at all. Why are you calling it Superman the Golden Age? Well, I'm glad you finally asked, Ashley. And that is because Superman is such a character with a huge history, 75 years, over 75 years now of history. And we don't want to summarize or leave out any part of it. So... We're really only covering the golden age of Superman, and we're going to explain what the golden age means in just a second. But to really give you a timeline, we are covering the adventures of Superman and his history from 1938 to 1956. All right. So that's about 18 years. That's right. Now, there will be more Superman geek history lessons in the future. We will Ooh, do that's relief. all of his history up to current day. But... To actually let you understand and learn, this is the way we have to do it. We want to marinate in the Superman history. Exactly. So, let me tell you what I meant by the Golden Age. Please do. Now, the Golden Age is a marker of time in comic book history, if you don't know. There's the Golden Age, the Silver Age, the Bronze Age, the Modern Age. They haven't quite decided what the age is we're in now. The postmodern uh, age. I've heard like it's maybe the postmodern age. Some people call it the Digital Age, that maybe the Digital Age starts in the New 52. Sure. I don't know. doesn't matter. I think it gets decided down the line. But anyways, we're talking about the Golden Age. Cool. Because we're not in anymore, and we can talk about it. Now, <laughs> uh, uh, the beginning of the Golden Age is cited to be the 1938 debut of Superman in Action Comics, Number one. Oh, well, that's convenient. Yes. Now, um, of course, Action Comics number one was published by Detective Comics. It was, of course, the predecessor of DC Comics. That's kind of where DC comes from. Get it? Golly gee. Yep. And the Golden Age ended with the beginning of the Silver Age of comic books, which is generally recognized as the beginning of the debut of the first successful new superhero since the Golden Age, which is actually The Flash, when he showed up in Showcase number 4 in October of 1956. That Barry Allen, though. Yep. Now, because that happened in the mid-1950s, the Silver Age, anyways, Mm. because superhero comics declined after World War II, and uh, the end of the Golden Age of comics, the editors of DC decided to revive some of their Golden Age superheroes with completely new origins and backstories, hence why The Flash went from being Jay Garrick to Barry Allen. Yes. And uh, just to let you know, there were actually two versions of Superman in the DCU during the 1950s. Were there really? Yes. That's awesome. <laughs> and because it was retroactively declared that the version of Superman that was published between 1938 and the early 1950s lived on Earth 2, ah. while comics featuring Superman published since the mid-50s took place on Earth-1. However, since Superman is one of several DC characters that has been continuously published. Now, let that sink in. 
There has never been a period of time since 1938 when there wasn't a Superman title being published. That is very, very impressive. It's cr- I, There's very few heroes that, well, there is no other hero that has that legacy of 1938. I mean, Batman's got it with 1939. Yes. But there you go. Uh, so... Since they never stopped publishing Superman during the 50s, even though superheroes declined, there isn't a clear dividing line between Earth-1 and Earth-2 Superman. So several stories published in the mid-50s, 1950s, took place on Earth-1, whereas other ones retroactively took place on Earth-2, and nobody really quite knows. And, uh, and it, it doesn't matter. <laughs> but it doesn't matter. We, again, we are going to focus on the adventures of Superman from 1938 to 1956. Cool. So now... We can hop into the first section of our podcast, the Tencent Origin. And the Tencent Origin is where we tell you all the cliff notes, all the basic info, all of the who and the what's and the why's of this character. In case you go to a really cool cocktail party for Batman v Superman and someone's like, yo, what's up with this Superman? Yes, in the Golden Age. In the Specifically in the Golden yep. Age. Now, his real name is Cal L. That's Dash with an L, no E. The E was dropped retroactively when it was decided that this was an Earth 2 character. Mm. Uh, his other name is Clark Kent, his Earth name. He was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. His relatives are Jor L, his birth father, Laura L, his birth mother, John Kent, Mary Kent, uh, Lois Lane Kent, who eventually became his wife. Ooh. Uh, Lucille Lane Tompkins, sister-in-law. George Tompkins was a brother-in-law. Uh, Power Girl was his cousin. Zor-El was his uncle. And Elora Inzi was his aunt. And his affiliations are the Justice Society of America and the All-Star Squadron. And his base of operations is Metropolis and the Secret Sanctuary. I will tell you more about the Secret Sanctuary later. Ooh, I'm excited. And his first appearance, of course, was in probably the most famous comic book of all time, Action Comics number 1, June of 1938. Also the most valuable comic book of all time. Uh, easily, yeah. So, let's go to the meet-cute section. The meet-cute section of the podcast is a term that we stole from romantic comedy writing where we tell you the first time we met this character and how cute it was now uh, since this is the golden age superman ashley i have a specific instance where uh, uh i met the golden age superman i want to i want to change this instead of asking you where you first met superman i want to ask you have you ever read action comics number one no never no have you ever read any of the golden age the early superman stories no None of them. No, never. Okay, this is a uh, you have no. Okay, I, I read Superman number seventy six, which is the first time that he meets Batman. There you go. <laughs> so that that would be that would be the only one. Well, I have read Action Comics number one, and I actually got to read it in late junior high, one of my last years of junior high, because my friend, uh, his name was Dennis. Uh, he wasn't. I, he's not a cool dude. Okay, but at the time I thought he was a cool dude, and he had these giant archive editions of. Action Comics number one and Batman number one. And they were huge. They were like like two feet by like a foot. It was insane. But they were like really kind of torn up. But I mean, at the time, I thought they were the legit deal. I thought they were the real deal. And I'm sure he led you to believe that they were the real deal. Oh, I'm certain he showed up. That's why Dennis is not a good dude. (laughs) Uh, But that's how I read Action Comics and Batman number one for the very first time. That's really cool. Okay. So let's hop into History 101. Yes, the main meat of the lesson where we dive deep into the Kryptonian realm and the crystals of Golden Age Superman. All right. 
So first, we're going to talk about the real world history of Superman before we go to the fictional history. In 1933, Jerry Siegel wrote a short story called Reign of the Superman. Now, in that story, a vagrant gets psychic power and uses them to for profit only to lose them again and become a vagrant again because he and at the same time, he's very ashamed that how he misused his powers. Well, morality tales are important. Uh, Later in 1933, he developed another hero called Superman or another character. This one was actually a hero and it had some of the elements that we know. Uh, The names Clark Kent, Lois Lane and so on. Uh, But he was merely a strong man. And had no superpowers and no costume. Okay. Now, Strongman, of course, is the guy in the tight tights with the big mustache, the superhero, the the circus strongman. Yeah, yeah, who sometimes lifts trapezoid weights. Yep. Uh, So Siegel had Joe Schuster draw that story up into a comic book. And they submitted it to several companies, but they kept getting turned down. Aw. Siegel first thought it was because the companies didn't think that Schuster was a good enough artist. What a dick thing to think. A little bit. So Siegel <laughs> wanted to fire him. And when Schuster found out about this, he responded by burning the strongman comic book and only sparing the cover. Wow, that's a totally rock and roll way to react. Yeah. I love it. So Siegel made another Superman comic with another artist named Russell Keaton. And in this comic, Superman further evolved. Except this is kind of neat. I didn't know this. Okay. I had never heard this about. In this story, Earth is in the far future and it's about to explode. And the last surviving man sends his child back in time to 1935, where he's adopted by Sam and Molly Kent. Um, this child has great strength and bulletproof skin, and they teach him to use his powers for good. Uh, he can't fly or anything like that, but he's a time travel baby. However, this comic was <laughs> time also travel baby. Yep, this comic <laughs> was also rejected by several companies as well. Mm, it's so there's so many elements though that you can see from the classic yep. Superman origin. It's yep. very interesting. Now, Siegel eventually reunited with Schuster. And at the time, they both got jobs with National Allied Publications, uh, which at the time had expressed interest in Superman. They began to develop the concept more, and the familiar costume showed up. The alien nature of Superman became part of the story. And then they submitted it, Superman to a company called Detective Comics. Detective Comics loved it, and Siegel and Schuster sold all the rights to Superman to Detective Comics for, at the time... $130. Now, adjusted for inflation, that is $2,200 today. That's still, for a character that became as iconic as Superman did, I mean, that's nothing. That's that's insane. <laughs> that's very low, I think. Yeah. Um, which, because I honestly think you could make the argument for Superman being the most famous character of all time. You could. You definitely could. His symbol actually is in the top five symbols of recognized worldwide. Yeah. The along, along with the Coca-Cola product. And the crucifix. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. 
Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Uh, so actually, fun fact, Action Comics number one became an immediate success. Yay! And thus, they were off to the races, and now we can jump into the fictional history of Superman. Let's do it. Now, Superman was born Kal-El of the planet Krypton. His father was an esteemed scientist, Jor-El, and his mother was a librarian named Laura. I like that. Yep. While Kal-El was still a toddler, his father discovered that the planet Krypton, or as Marlon Brando says it, Krypton. The well, pl- the planet Krypton, the planet Krypton. <laughs> it's an acting choice. It teetered on the brink of absolute destruction. <sighs> Realizing that there was not enough time to save everyone on the planet, he deposited his son inside a specifically designed rocket ship and launched him into outer space to Earth directly mm-hmm. because he knew that Earth would give his son powers. Um, and as Kal-El's rocket, of course, broke through the atmosphere of Krypton, Krypton exploded. I like that you said he deposited his son. Mm-hmm. Like, because I just imagine like this giant man like dropping yep. a baby into a rocket. Yep. He's like, ah, he's the man of steel. He'll be well, fine. Well, the interesting thing about this is that he's not an infant. No, he's a, he's a toddler, yes, so because he's that, a little less breakable. Because that will change later on. Mm-hmm. Um, after flying through space for an undetermined amount of time, they do not reveal how long it takes, which I kind of, I've always liked that in Superman Origins. I like the fact that there is the possibility that Krypton might have exploded in Earth timeline, like the, somewhere in the Middle Ages. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and because of time dilation and traveling faster in light... That's why Superman doesn't age. You could also make the argument for, like, he could be in stasis when he's inside True. the ship, for all we know. Krypton's True. very advanced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I've always liked that. I like the idea that Krypton was, like, way... Like, he, he was in space for a long time. Science! Yep. Uh, now, his rocket crashed in a small community named Smallville. Notice how I did not say Kansas. Hmm. That will come later in possibly another geek history lesson. Hmm. Just a place called Smallville. Cool. Uh, though at first he was placed in an orphanage. Oh. Uh, yeah, Cal was soon adopted by the Kents and given the name Clark. And over time, he discovered his many powers. And during his teenager years, Clark met a strange visitor from another universe. His own counterpart, Superboy of Earth-1. And this is where the retcons start uh, coming uh, in. Okay. The more experienced Superboy from Earth-1 helped train Clark in the use of his powers. And during this period, Clark briefly worked as a circus strongman under the identity of the Masked Wonder. That's a that's a cute little callback to uh, the origins of the character. Yep. Him working as a strongman. I like that. Now, Mary Ma Kent later died. Now, notice it's Mary, not Martha. I did notice that. Uh, and when John Pa Kent was on his deathbed, he made Clark promise to use his powers for the good of mankind. Now, Clark's father calls Clark a Superman, inspiring Clark in the use of his name. And Aww. so Clark uh, uh, Clark takes his father's advice and creates the identity of Superman. That's lovely. That's also interesting that you know, basically from his inception that Superman's reverence and respect for his parents and the values that they instilled in him is what keeps him on the right track. Exactly. Exactly. I love that. Because he could break the planet in half. Right. If if he, man, they must have had the well, best be you, teenager ever. Well, to be honest with you, this Superman can't. 
Everything. Well. Because I'm going to get to his powers here very quickly. Okay. Now, uh, Clark quickly earned himself a job as a reporter at the Daily Star, not the Daily Planet, oh. um, after turning in a story about Superman's first public act. Well, he's yep. just riding his own coattails to the top. Yep. But... Despite Superman's honorable intentions, Superman was not initially considered a hero and was in fact regarded as a vigilante working outside of the law. Gasp. And the legal authorities many times fired at him and tried to arrest him. Wow. Many of his earliest public actions showed Kal-El engaging in aggressive actions against wife beaters. These are some of Superman's first villains. Okay. Wife beaters. Slumlords social criminals, corrupt politicians, corrupt cops, and mobsters. So this is 1938? This is 1938. This is surprisingly progressive, even by today's standards. Uh, just, just, We'll get to how progressive it is once I start giving summaries. Here we go. Okay. Now, to show you how different this Superman is, I thought it would be nice to summarize the first 10 issues of Superman, the first 10 stories. Okay. And to show you how crazy this Superman kind of is compared to what we think of as Superman. Okay. Um, Now, this is the Superman that became so popular that it created a second solo title for him and led to Superman being continuously published for over 75 years. Now, at the time... Yes. Characters really didn't get solo titles. No, that's very true. So, Superman was one of the first... He might be the first. I'm not certain about that. So here we go. So here we go. Here's a summaries of the first 10 Superman stories. Now, also notice I did not say the first 10 issues of Action Comics. I did notice that, in fact. Okay, here we go. Action Comics issue number one. Okay. It starts with a one-page explanation of Superman's powers. He can leap... Uh, one eighth of a mile or a 20 story building. Wow. And again, notice that I said he did. He can't fly. He can, but leaping is yep. pretty impressive. And nothing. It says in the text, nothing less than a bursting shell can penetrate his skin. So he's not completely invulnerable, but close enough. He's he, for, for 1938 times. He's 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 a Mack truck. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. All right. So here we go. Oh, such an American uh, metaphor. <laughs> so in the issue, Superman shows up to the governor's mansion. They never say what state, but the governor. Yeah, yeah. naturally. Uh, the attendant tells him that the governor uh, uh, is is sleeping and he can't see him. And Superman breaks down the door and is like, "I'll see him now." But he <laughs> but he stopped at the governor's door, which is actually made of steel for some reason. And Superman the breaks. <laughs> Superman breaks that door down too. Um, he he tells he tells the governor that he has evidence that will save a woman that is going to be executed in less than fifteen minutes. Oh, and he's like, "That's why I broke into your house and yep. threatened your manservant." Yep. The governor looks at these papers and calls the prison and gets her sentence immediately commuted. The next day at the Daily Star, uh, the editor wants Kent to find out about this Superman, and then a tip on the phone comes into the Daily Star about a wife beating that is in progress. Wow. So Clark runs off and Superman runs into the apartment on the wife beating as Superman punches the husband, saying to the husband as the husband is flying through the air, you're not fighting a woman now. (laughs) Okay. Clark returns to his office after thoroughly beating the wife beater. um, As you should. And nervously asks Lois out for a date. Lois, of course, says yes. And while they're dancing on their date, Clark asks Lois, why do you always avoid me at the office, Lois? Lois replies, please, Clark, I've been writing sob stories all day, so don't ask me to dish out another. That's literally exactly the line that she says. Oh, I'm going to flat out say it right now. 
I love Lois Lane. Golden Age Lois Lane is a bitch. <laughs> a bitch and a prude. <laughs> she's not like, look, Smallville. <laughs> no, no. She's like, you're a coward and I hate you. <laughs> I need there to be an action figure of Golden Age Lois Lane with an attachable speech bubble that says, you're a coward and I, I hate, hate you. you. <laughs> That's amazing. Okay. So... Um, then a man tries to cut in on their dance, a tough, right? And Lois doesn't, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Lois doesn't want to dance with this man. And Clark just is nervous. Is like, well, just dance with the man, Lois. It'll be fine. And then he'll go away. Yeah, yeah. So Clark, <laughs> so Lois gets so mad that we're still in the first issue. This is the best yep. thing ever. So Lois gets so mad at Clark that she slaps Clark and leaves Clark in disgust. But you see. <laughs> But you see that Tuff really wanted to dance. So he follows Lois in his car. He follows Lois' wow, cab in his car. Creep. And Superman sees this. And Superman chases down the car. And when the driver sees him in the rearview mirror, he exclaims, It's the devil himself! Well, you know. Uh, and then Superman lifts the car like the image that we see on the very famous cover. Mm-hmm. And uh, Lois sees Superman for the very first time. One of my favorite panels in all of Superman history. Superman comes close to Lois and he says... You needn't be afraid of me. I won't harm you. Well, that's Superman in a nutshell, isn't it? Yep. The next morning, Lois tries to publish the Superman story, but the chief won't have it because he thinks it's ridiculous and absurd. <laughs> well. Yep. But instead, he sends Clark Kent to a country called Santa Monte to cover a war going on there. But of course, uh, Clark doesn't go directly there. He takes a train and he stops in Washington, D.C. Sure. And Just for, on the way. Yeah. And in Washington, D.C., Superman overhears a conversation between uh, a politician and like a mobster trying to convince the politician to vote on a certain Bill. This is still the first issue. We are. We have not left the first issue yet. It's like three plot points yep. down now. <laughs> uh, so Superman grabs the man trying to corrupt the senator and holds him as he runs along the electric lines of DC. Runs on top of the electric oh, I've lines. Seen pictures of that. And then that's where Action Comics number one ends. And 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 uh, here's a fun fact. Okay. Okay. So that's Action Comics number one, right? That's bonkers. Yep. So Action Comics number one did really well. Yeah. Superman's not on the cover of Action Comics number two. DC Comics, what you doing? No, what you doing? Detective Comics. Detective. Well, dude, DC whatever. Comics technically doesn't exist now. Detective Comics, what you doing? Superman doesn't appear on the cover of issue two. Why not? Or or three. Why not? Or four. You're. Or five. Uh, or six. Superman does not appear on the cover of Action Comics until Action Comics issue seven. Wow. But. He has stories in each of these issues, but they have oh, other features. Goodness. So, um, and, and, and there's one of these covers that I thought was really funny that I'm going to describe to you because I can't believe that's the image they chose over Superman. Okay. So, here you go. So, let's jump to issue number two. Okay. Issue number two. Now, now the, again, these are going to become stories, so they won't be as long because they won't be the whole issue. They'll just be pieces of the issue. Cool. So here you go. So, in issue number two, Superman goes to Santa Monte, like I said in the first issue, and he forces a munition manufacturer to join the army. Uh, okay. Because he thinks he's like, oh, you're just making all these weapons. You don't know how to understand what it's like for the real man. Sure. Uh, this horrifies the wealthy man, and th- thus he returns to the United States and vows to never manufacture anything more dangerous than a firecracker. I'm just saying that this would be a great lesson to put out in the world yep. right now. <laughs> uh, and then Superman returns back to Santa Monte and makes the two warring commanders stand down their army so they won't fight. Wow. That's the story. Wow. Uh, issue number three is called Superman Battles Death Underground. 
That's like a that's like an upside beneath of around the mutant planets of the Earth. Uh Planets of the Ape kind of title. That's that's yeah. ridiculous. So in issue three, Superman saves some miners from a collapsed mine, which Superman believes happened because of unsafe minor mine conditions. Probably. So he hides as a worker, and while in the cave, Superman causes a cave-in while the owner of the mine is inside it. And, okay. and when the owner of the cave discovers the safety conditions don't work, he vows to fix it all and makes his mine the safest in the world. And when Superman hears that, he he, he clears the way to safety. Oh, good but, job, Superman. But you might be noticing a trend here. I am noticing a trend. Okay. Here. Issue number four, uh, Superman takes down a corrupt football coach, and it's really not that interesting, so we're going to move on. Okay. Uh, they can't all be, they can't all be gold stars. Yes. Issue number five is called The Big Scoop, and is the birth of the Clark and Lois Lane rivalry. Yeah. Okay, so here's the story of this one. Okay. The editor of the Daily Star learns that the Valley Ho Dam is in danger of cracking because of torrential rain. Okay. Uh, Clark is nowhere to be found, so Lois demands the story. But the editor of uh, the Daily Star mm-hmm. thinks the story is too dangerous for a woman. He's like, look, girly. Yeah. Yes, girly, you can't take this. But I got Moxie. Well, Lois does have Moxie, and she's so insulted. F, yeah. That she tracks down Clark and then feeds Clark misinformation so that he will go on a wild goose chase that's not the dam so that Lois can go to the dam and get the story. Oh, Lois, that's mean. (laughs) Uh, Mad that Clark let himself get scooped by Lois, the editor then fires Clark Kent from the Daily Star. Wow. So Clark dresses up as Superman, heads to the dam, and actually, because he goes there as Superman, he actually beats Lois there, mm-hmm. but he's still unable to stop the dam from cracking. Okay. So he still has to save Lois, but he's able to save the city because he's able to divert, divert the water away from the city. Superman then calls in the scoop about the flood being diverted as Clark mm. and regains his job. That's lucky. Which infuriates Lois to no end. I'm sure. <laughs> how did Clark beat me at the story? He wasn't even there. Yep. Now we're going to go to issue six, which is a story that I think is called as brilliant. The man who sold Superman. <laughs> a man named Nick Williams claims to be Superman's personal manager and offers Clark Kent an interview. God, that is such an L.A. thing to do. <laughs> Clark takes him up on his offer, but not before Lois gla- grabs Clark and tells him to take her to dinner. Hmm. During the dinner, Lois drugs Clark. Wait. Yep. We got reverse roofies going Lois on. Lois Lane roofies Clark Kent <laughs> and takes the meeting instead. But Lois at the meeting is unconvinced by the actor that Nick hired to play Superman. So Nick Williams throw Nick Williams throws her out of a window when she threatens to reveal the scam. But luckily for wow. Lo- but luckily for Lois, Superman, the drugs didn't affect him and he's he's actually waiting outside the building and catches Lois and exposes Williams as a fraud. He's like this is going to go south. I'll just yep. wait outside the window. Issue number 7 is uh, a very sweet story. Uh Clark is sent to interview the head of the Jordan Circus that came to town and he owner- overhears the owner sad that it will go broke because the circus has to pay off the mob. Mm. Circuit uh, Clark sees the show there and he notices he notes he actually says this that it lacks flash <laughs> so Superman takes pity on the circus and shows up to the circus saying that he will be the circus's new strongman yeah and during the show he lifts an elephant he juggles the other strongman does all these crazy he juggles things the other strongman he juggles the other strongman and an elephant at the same time that's amazing <laughs> I want that on a t-shirt so the mob men see this and they realize that this this circus is gonna go through the roof make so much money yeah, that yeah. they start to cause accidents because they are afraid that the course of the circus is gonna be too successful but super- I can't have that happening yeah. 
<laughs> but Superman stops the mobsters and saves the circus. In the B plot, there is a daily star worker named Curly. Who, <laughs> yep. Who keeps flip who keeps flipping out Clark Kent's tie. You know how it's tucked in the front of you. Yeah. And he keeps flipping out Clark Kent's tie every time he walks by. But Clark never gets mad about it. So and, and Curly keeps remarking about it, like, oh, let's go crazy. So one moment at the very end of the issue, when Curly is walking into an office, Superman runs at super speed and pulls all of Curly's clothing off, making him completely naked in public in an instant. Uh, to what end? Because that because Superman wins at the very don't don't you don't tug on Superman's cape. I I guess yeah. not. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office more than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Move on to issue number eight, and Superman is not on the cover again. Aww. Uh, this is the funniest cover of all. Okay. The cover of Action Comics number eight is an Indian, a Native American, mm-hmm. fighting a British soldier. Awesome. There's like struggling. So good. Yeah, there you go. And they were like, this is more interesting than yep. the Man of Tomorrow. Yep. Well, actually, because the story in issue eight is quite forgettable, because Superman tries to save a bunch of kids and the bad tenements they live in, they kind of live in a mm-hmm. ghetto. Uh, um, so Superman, to save the kids, decides to break apart the building in every building in this tenement area, because he figures that if he breaks them all, they'll have to rebuild them and then the people can live there. That's a terrible idea. <laughs> well, it is terrible, because Superman starts bashing down these buildings all in Man of Steel style, and and the army is sent in to stop him. Wow. But the end of the story just jumps ahead in time and they all have new apartment buildings, unexplainable. And they're and they're like, yay, thank you, Superman. And the ends justified the means. Yeah, but literally there's like pages in this where Superman is like destroying apartment buildings. Wow. That's... <laughs> <laughs> Issue nine actually has a race car on the cover. Awesome. <laughs> is Superman in, around, or lifting mm. the race car? Uh, no, just a race car. Superman's oh. not on the cover. <sighs> In this issue, the police are in full force as they hire Captain Riley to capture Superman. Okay. Uh, When Clark asks Lois out on a date, she actually says that she despises Clark (laughs) and that she truly only loves 
Superman. You're a coward and I hate you. Now, here's the fun thing about this. <laughs> Clark quickly walks to another office room and starts laughing out loud because he thinks it's hilarious. I love that. That's fantastic. <laughs> um, quickly, uh, Captain Riley offers a $5,000 reward for the capture of Superman and a man named Mortimer, he finds <laughs> he finds Clark's clothes uh, in an alleyway during one of the times that Superman is out rescuing somebody. Mm-hmm. And in the clothes, he finds a note um, that says going to the Duncan reception. Mortimer, of course, tells Captain O'Reilly, hey, I found the clothes of Superman, blah, blah, blah. Um, so the police show up at the Duncan reception. Clark is there. And just before he was going to be searched uh, and have his costume, of course, be revealed. Done it. Mortimer turns off the lights because O'Reilly wasn't going to give him his $5,000 reward. So when he flicks off the lights, Clark is able to run out, run out, take off his clothes, run back in and appear as Superman. Well, that's handy dandy. And of course, he bashes in O'Reilly and Mortimer's heads. Solving solving the issue. Everything with brain damage. Yep. (laughs) Now we get to issue 10 of Action Comics and Superman is finally back on the cover. Yay! Uh, And in this, Superman helps to overthrow a cruel prison warden who is torturing his prisoners. And uh, it's that's about it. That's all you need to know. Of course, he pretends to be one of the prisoners and gets the prison warden to be tortured. And the prison warden warden is like, oh, I miss my ways. Oh, I should be a better prison warden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. And the issue ends with an ad saying, Superman, the strip sensation of 1939 in every issue of Action Comics. Tell your friends. Tell your friends. Yep. That's funny. You can also tell your friends about the podcast sensation of Geek History Lesson, friends, Ooh. and all the fantastic extras you can get at patreon.com slash geekhistorylesson. For $3 of support, you can keep down the commies, but you can also get the episodes a day early. Or for $5 a month, you can get the Patreon-exclusive podcast Geek History Lesson Extra, which is 20 more minutes of yapping, Ashley and Jason yapping about all the subjects you want to know, like all those talkies you're not you're looking at. And the Nickel Dime Theaters. I'm running out of steam here. <laughs> Patreon.com slash Jarwin is where the true heroes of adventure support the artists that they love and back to more daring adventures of Superman. There you I go. thought that was tremendously done. Patreon.com slash Jarwin. I ran out of air. I need to take a drink real quick. So vamp Ashley. Well, that's what happens when you talk like an old timey guy or when you talk like Varric. But now we're going to do more Superman stuff. I mean, they all had chewing tobacco and cigarettes. That's how they got through it. Yeah, really? Yeah. Um, now, as you can tell, I've given you a primer. I've given you a nice base foundation of Superman. Solid. And you can kind of tell the golden age adventures of Superman by our standards, of course, are a little silly. Well. But. I like that they're very socially conscious. They are. I, I'm actually kind of surprised by how relevant they are. Yes. So we're going to skip ahead a little bit and we're going to summarize a bit more because we got to get to we got to get to 1956. OK. OK, Ashley, I want to ask you, do you know who Superman's first supervillain was? Uh, No. <laughs> Can I guess? Yes. Um, I would assume that it is uh, Lex Luthor in some form or another. It is not Lex Luthor. It I is, would guess that it's Brainiac. It's, it is not Brainiac. Well, I'm all out of ideas. It is the ultra humanite. That weird monkey guy? Yes, but at this time he was bald and looked exactly like Lex Luthor. Oh, yeah. I've seen pictures of that. Well, as I mentioned, if you remember earlier, the Golden Age Superman has very distinct differences from what we know as Superman. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that, for for instance. Also, Superman didn't have a fortress of solitude during this time. He had a, a place called the Secret Citadel, which basically just had a giant workout center inside. 
awesome. Yep. Now, Superman continued to be the most successful character in comics during this period. His solo book quickly went from being a quarterly to a bi-monthly book. Wow. And he would also get a lead slot in World's Finest Comics, which was a follow-up to the New York New York World's Fair specials. And these comics would feature both Superman and Batman. That's the reason why they're called World's Finest. That is a true and scientific fact. Yep. Uh, even though every story is credited to Siegel and Schuster, this is completely untrue. Oh, really? Yes. Uh, actually, Schuster stayed on the strip longer than he did any of his other creations, uh, but the sheer volume of Superman stories with Action Comics and uh, the solo title mm-hmm. and World's Finest necessitated them bringing on other artists and other writers. Uh, Wayne Boring actually would be one of the greatest influences at the time because he is the one that has given credit for the Superman shield on Superman's chest becoming what we think of it as today with the triangular kind yeah, of pentagon design. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the kind of diamond yeah. shape. Because before then, it was kind of like a gold shield with a red ass and like it did all kinds of different it, stuff. It wasn't as stylized, I would say. Yeah, Wayne Boring's the one that's responsible for what we think of as this stylized Superman shield. Thanks, Wayne. You do good work. Yep. Now, during these further adventures, we learned that Clark actually, and this is a fun fact, uh, Clark actually has a massive Clark uh, clock collection and collects clocks. <laughs> That's weird. It actually has never been mentioned again. That's super. Yep. That would be a great detail to introduce if you were doing... Um, I would do it now. Yeah, like if we were going to see his apartment in mm-hmm. uh, Metropolis, like, and he had a room that was just full of clocks, and they're like, why? He's like, I, I just like to see time fly. There you go. Oh, there you go. That's very funny. <laughs> in Action Comics number 69, we learn for the first time that his x-ray vision cannot see through lead. Mm. He also uses super breath for the first time and super hypnosis, which actually almost gets overused during this time to prevent Lois from discovering his identity. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now, uh, also during this time period, as I mentioned a couple times, the editor of the Daily Star, his name was actually George Taylor. Okay. But by 1941, uh, Clark is suddenly under the Daily Planet under Perry White. Great. Now, these changes were done to correspond to the very popular Superman radio show, hmm. but it was actually poorly executed in the comics because in action, <laughs> well, in action comics number 22, the Daily Star sends Lois and Clark to the European country of Galonia when it is invaded by Turan. But in issue 23, they file their story on the same invasion with the Daily Planet. Okay. So it flip-flops. And George Taylor and Perry White kind of do that a couple times, too. So those editors weren't doing their jobs. They were just, get them out, get them out, get them out the door. Yeah, 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 for real. And again, like I said, George Taylor's appearance alters because sometimes he's heavy, sometimes he's old, sometimes he's smoking a cigar. Oh, really? And in Superman number seven, he abruptly changes his name to Perry White, even though he's drawn the exact same way as George Taylor. Well, Perry White's a more distinctive name, so I think it was a better choice, really. In Superman number 11, Lois first notices that Clark is never around when Superman is, and she wonders... Is it possible that, and this goes on for about a year until a story in Superman number 17 in which Lois tries to prove that Clark is really Superman. And of course she fails, but this will go on for decades. For literally the rest of time. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Jimmy Olsen is slowly and uh, surely worked into the comic books. Again, Jimmy first made his appearance in the Superman radio series and was retroactively combined with an unnamed office boy that appeared in several early issues of Action Comics. (laughs) Hey, unnamed office boy. 
like, yep. bring me a pencil. In Superman number five, the boy actually has brown hair and no name. And in issue number 13, he's finally called Jimmy. And it's not until Superman 15 that he's actually called Jimmy Olsen. Wow. I want to imagine that there's just like this lost boys collection of young men yep. working at the Daily Planet. Now here's, we're going to get even crazier. Jimmy doesn't get his red hair and bow tie until Action Comics number 49. Really? And a few months later... In World's Finest number six, it's finally revealed that him and Clark are friends. Wow. So there you go. That took longer than I would have expected. Yeah. Very interesting. The Daily Planet's iconic globe that's just a pop their building finally debuts in this era, although different artists change their mind on whether they wanted to draw it or not. So sometimes it shows up (laughs) and sometimes it doesn't. Awesome. Yep. Continuity. And then Superman's greatest supervillain, Finally debuts. Who is that, Ashley? Lex Luthor. That is right. Lex Luthor debuts in Action Comics number 23. He actually has no first name during this time and a healthy crop of red hair. Awesome. Yep. He would go through the entire period without getting a first name, but actually his hair doesn't last more than a year. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He makes two appearances following Action Comics 23 the following month, both in the pages of Superman number four, threatening Metropolis with an earthquake machine and then attempting to raise the sunken city of Pacific. That's with a Q at the end. (laughs) He also tries to steal the oil from Oklahoma to power the machines to raise it. And he tries to flood the California coast. I like that uh, that the first season of Arrow lifted the earthquake machine to end out their first season. It's <laughs> a good way to end it. In Luther's fourth appearance in Superman number ten, Luther is suddenly bald with oh. no explanation. Well, bald bald guys are scary, I guess. And actually, in Superman number ten, he's developed an invisibility ray that he uses uh, that he uses with his gang to help rob banks. And I'm going to uh, put it out there right now that I think he accidentally used the invisibility ray on his hair and that's where it went and that's where it went uh head cannon accepted that's amazing yep now a superman villain called the puzzler uh debuts in action comics number 49 and returns in superman number 20 he's actually a professional looking man with glasses and a van dyke beard and the puzzler considers himself a master of games leaving clues for superman to figure out who he is Hmm. Boy, the, this sure does sound like a couple other villains I know. Yeah, who, what other villain does this sound like? This sounds a lot like uh, Riddler. Now, I looked it up because I wanted to see. The Riddler actually did not debut until 1948, so the puzzler predates the Riddler. Uh, it also sounds like uh, Clue Master. Yeah, but I always thought the Clue Master was a low-rent Riddler anyway. So uh, totally. Yep. But uh, I think that's very interesting. World's Finest number 6 is the only appearance of Metallo in the Golden Age. Um, Golden Age Metallo, though, has mm-hmm. one of the best, most patchwork put together yep. looks ever. Well, because this Metallo is simply a man in a powerful metal suit. Yes. Uh, though for much of the tale, uh, many people in the street believe him to be an alien robot. Interesting. Yeah. Action Comics number 51 is the debut of The Prankster, who is a master con artist who is a comedian. He has an oversized collar and ugly green plaid jacket that they've kept to this day. Yeah. Uh, the pretender pretends to, the pr- prankster pretends to rob banks, but in fact leaves money for them each time. And this is all a plan to have one banker open his vault so he can get the millions of jewels and stocks inside that vault. The stocks, baby, the stocks. Yep. The Toy Man debuted in Action Comics number 64. Ooh, He's pretty re- significant part of 
Supergirl. Yep. He's revealed an, as an aging toy maker with a mop of long, curly, blonde hair, and he uh, decides to use the toys he builds for crime. In the first tale, the toys prove to be bombs, and he uses a toy Superman to escape from prison in Superman number 27 and opens a high-end arcade using it to entertain the crowds to distract them so he can rob them. I love it. Yep. Love it. Um, and soon kryptonite was introduced. Ashley, what is kryptonite? Kryptonite is this green rock that saps all of Superman's powers. And in some incarnations, its strength depends on who's writing it. Exactly. Basically. Exactly. Now, kryptonite at the time had already appeared again in the Superman radio show. Mm. Now, the first stories dealing with uh, Jor-El and Laura... Uh, were eventually printed after this time. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, they after Kryptonite. And this actually is what a lot of people believe opened the door to a science fiction universe that would eventually become what all Superman tales are about, as Superman in the 1950s would basically become a sci-fi series. Well, the alien of it all. Yep. Also, during this time, Superman's origin uh, gets retold, mm-hmm. and it's expanded with developments that had taken place at that point. Um, it, it happened in Superman number 50, uh, 53, which is billed as the 10th anniversary of the character. Wow. Jor-El and Laura, Superman's parents, are introduced, and their world of Krypton is introduced, and it's doomed to destruction because it's unstable uranium core this time. Very topical. Yep. Jor-El, period. Jor-El presents his findings to the council. He's laughing. At Jorel only has a small rocket and is carries a child Kal-El. Now, this time the rocket lands on Earth and is found by John and Mary Kent. And this is the first time that we learn Pa Kent's first name. Oh, really? Before this, he was only known as Pa. Pa. Also, it's the first time that we learn the maiden name of Mary Clark. Which is what how Clark got his name. Yes. This is the first time this was mentioned. Now also, Superman remembers his days as Super Baby in Superman oh, yeah. 73. Um, and fun fact, Superboy, uh, by this point, had been running around for a number of years. Mm-hmm. But this is actually the first tale in the book to show young Clark Kent for any extended period of time. Because the story introduces the idea of Super Baby Boy slash man's costume made from blankets that were found in the rocket from Krypton. I like that idea. I do. I, I, I like think the, that's very sweet. I like the idea that the cape is his blanket. Yes. But the rest of it I kind of think is ridiculous. Well, it's a gold age. Yep. <laughs> uh, the first detailed de- depiction of Superman's microscopic vision appeared in World's Finest Number 48. And it's the only story of this era... To really delve into one of his powers. Okay. Now, the story deals with a scientist who creates what appears to be a super strong form of steel, Mm. knowing that it will molecularly collapse and disintegrate in a year. Okay. When this begins happening, Superman rushes from disaster to disaster, trying to save people from collapsing bridges, derailing trains, and falling buildings. Uh, And Wayne Boring, again, I've mentioned him. Yep. uh, He used a really cool visual to show the microscopic vision. And as Superman uses it on the steel to determine what is wrong with it. Now, the scientist who did this almost falls victim himself. Oh, no. As he never considered how many buildings had been built with his crappy product. 
<laughs> so. Social responsibility. Yeah. Also, during this time, a number of famous people, famous at the time, uh, got to team up with Superman in this era. I want to see if you know them. Okay. Uh, so Superman teamed up with Ralph Edwards. I don't know who that is. Well, Ashley, Ralph Livingston Edwards is an American radio and television host, uh, best knows, known for his radio TV game show, Truth or Consequences, and This Is Your Life. Sure. I didn't know who that was, so don't, don't I, worry. I don't. Uh, Superman also teamed up with very famous actress Anne Blythe. I do know who Anne Blythe is. Oh, really? Who is she? I just know. I just know the name. Oh, uh, she's uh, an actress from movies like The Great Caruso, Brute Force, and The Student Prince. And her storyline with Superman is called Superman and the Mermaid. Ooh. Uh, Superman also per- uh, teamed up with Perry Como. A musician? And he's an American singer and television personality. There you go. And Superman teamed up with Orson Welles. I know who Orson Welles is. He has the rich and famous contracts. Yes, and he directed uh, Citizen Kane. Yes. Uh, now, Action Comics number 131 features a Luther story that would eventually be adapted as the second of the Superman movie serials. Okay. Now, Luther has invented a machine that moves people and objects into and out of the fourth dimension. And he announces the plans for his next crime to Lois Lane, including intending the press to cover the crime as he transports men from the scene. Now, Clark Kent writes the story for the Daily Planet and winds up on the chopping block when Perry White and the planet get sued by Luther's thieves for slander. For slander. Now, Luther transports them across the country and they have to witness and they have witnesses place them thousands of miles away. And Clark finds that his reputation has been ruined and no other paper will hire him now. Oh, no. Luther then uses the machine on Superman, trapping Superman in the fourth dimension. And essentially, this puts Superman in the same state as the Phantom Zone, even though they won't introduce the Phantom Zone for many, many years. Okay. Uh, but as with the Phantom Zone, Superman finds that he is able to influence an electric typewriter. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Although that is credited the story as having a wonderful sensitivity to the machine himself. Uh, Lois gets uh, to act as Superman's agent, finding Luther and reversing the machine to free Superman. So Superman sends a message to Lois and Lois helps out. Well, that's nice of Lois. So there you go. Uh, Action Comics number 141 marks the first story in which Lex Luthor creates kryptonite. And then comes an introduction of a great Superman villain. My second favorite Superman villain. Mr. Mixelpitalik. Yes. Now, Mr. Mixelpitalik has romance problems in his first appearance during this period in Superman number 51. There seems to be a new king in Zerf. A, that's where he's from. I know. Not the fifth dimension. Zerf at this time. Uh, who needs to marry off his daughter and picks Mixelpitalik for the groom. Um, Mixelpitalik lies, claiming to be engaged to Lois Lane and heads to Earth to marry her. Awesome. Lois insists that Mr. Mixelpitalik would have to prove himself as good as a reporter as she is for her to marry him. Uh, <laughs> this, is, of course, is very bizarre. Sure. But as a way to go into the next act of the story, the imp uses his magic to outdo her as a reporter. Mm. And Perry White puts them in direct competition to get a three-question interview with Superman. Now, Perry White, he sees this magical imp. He's not like, what the hell are you doing and get out of here great Caesar's ghost he says hey you impy if you can get a three question interview with Superman I'll hire you you can marry Lois Lane I don't care yeah uh, Mixelpedalic outwits Lois and gets his answers during a battle banter a, a, you know a yeah, battle yeah, banter yeah, yeah, yeah. with Superman uh, but Lois actually lives up to her words 
and heads to the altar. And right before she is able to, uh, to marry Mixelpitalik, Superman tricks Mixelpitalik into saying his name backwards, which sends him back to his home dimension. Goddamn right. Also, yep. I think that is interesting because uh, historically and in the traditions of mythology, doing that, uh, saying the name backwards of either a dragon or a demon will send them back from whence they came. Interesting. So, fun fact. Uh, Superman during this time also helped to establish the Justice Society of America. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, due to verse, various personal adventures, Superman was only able to join the Justice Society as an honor- honorary member. Aww. It was also around this time the Golden Age finally came to an end, and this this Superman would disappear to what would eventually be known as Earth 2. But we will find out more about them when we return to tell you more about Superman in a future geek history lesson called Superman the Silver Age. Oh, that's 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 so sad. But uh, we're going to talk about Superman and other media during this time. OK. Now, instead of telling you about Superman and media forever again, I'm only going to tell you from this time period the Superman media. And there's a lot of it, actually. Okay. Uh, during the 1940s, there was The Adventures of Superman. It was a radio series starring Bud Collier, or Collier, it might be how you say it, as the voice of Superman, and Joan Alexander as Lois. Yes. Uh, and here's a funny story about that radio show. Okay. In 1946, uh, civil rights activist Stetson Kennedy contacted the producers of the radio show and made them an interesting proposal. Okay. He claimed that he had a lot of information about the Ku Klux Klan's inner workings, including secret passwords and the like. And um, he was having trouble getting the Southern law enforcement to do anything with this information because he's kind of like, you can take down the clan with this information. Yeah, this is a wow. This is a crazy amount of intrigue that I did not expect yep, for the yep. radio show. So he thought that publicizing this information via a radio program right. would embarrass the Ku Klux Klan and temporarily throw a wrench into their workings. Not a not a bad idea. Now, the writers and executives at DC Comics were thrilled at the chance <laughs> to actually fight for real truth justice in the American way, right? That's awesome. And they plotted an arc called Superman versus the Ku Klux Klan. Awesome. And it hit the air. It was broadcast. Awesome. Ratings were huge. Yeah. And um in fact, uh, um, in uh, Stephen Dubner's and Stephen D. Levitt's Freakonomics, they claim that the show had the intended effect of ridiculing the Klan and publicizing its secret uh, passwords and thus visibly aiding the cause of civil rights in America. Wow. Um However, the amount of inside information about the KKK was actually revealed to be kind of exaggerated. Sure. Um, And a review of all 16 episodes of Clan of the Fiery Cross (laughs) storyline reveals that no actual passwords were revealed on air. But the intended effect was had. uh, So a Superman radio show of Superman fighting the Ku Klux Klan actually happened. That's... The, that's the greatest thing. That's the best <laughs> gift you could have given me for this geek history lesson. That's freaking amazing. Isn't that cool? Yes. Now I want to go find it. All right. Uh, let's talk about some more Superman stuff. Okay. In 1948, Superman, it was a serial in 15 chapters starring Kirk Allen and Noel Neal. It recounts uh, the origin story of Superman and he fights the spider lady. Oh, okay. In 1950, Adam Man versus Superman was a serial in 15 parts starting, still starring Kirk Allen and Noel Neal. Okay. And he fights the Adam Man and Lex Luthor. Yeah. And from 1952 to 1958, 
The Adventures of Superman, starring George Reeves <gasps> and Phyllis Coates, and only in season one as Lois, and then they brought no- Noelle Neal from the serials to be Lois. Well, they must have really loved her. Was the TV show of, uh, you know, dun da da dun da da Yeah. dun da dun and he leaps on the trampoline to go out the windows. Mm-hmm. George Reeves, one, uh, one of the great, one of the great Supermans. And also, we could not talk about Superman and other media during this time without mentioning the 1941 to 1943 Fleischer Studios animated theatrical cartoons. Oh. 17 shorts of Superman starring Bud Collier. And they drew this on black paper, this cartoon, which is why it pops. It's beautiful. And it's the reason why Bruce Tim did the same thing for Batman the Animated Series because That's he was inspired right. by the Fleischer Superman Animated Series. And that is the geek history lesson on Superman the Golden Age. Wow. So there that you was- go really cool. So there you go. A lot of research went into that. I was surprised I was able to get through it so quick. Wow. Uh, Let's go to some recommended reading. Uh, Just to let you guys know, you can buy any of these books that I'm going to recommend at geekhistorylesson.com slash recommended reading. All you gotta do is look for the lesson, click on the book, it'll take you directly to Amazon, and faster than a speeding bullet, a little bit of that uh, purchase comes our way. Heck yeah. Help keeps the golden age away. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, My first choice is Superman the Golden Age Volume 1 Soft cover. Uh, this collects action comics one through nineteen. Mm-hmm. So if you want some enjoyable Superman stories, let me tell you. If even if you don't like Golden Age comic books, they're worth reading just to see where this where superhero comic books started. They all come from these issues. And I would say that some of the coolest things about revisiting them, and it does, it takes time to get into that headspace. Takes a couple pages. Um, you notice even from the beginning how many elements were already in place. Yeah, and it, I think it gives you an appreciation of why we're still using those same story beats and why we're still celebrating the same parts of these characters 75 plus years later. Yes, exactly, exactly. I mean, because you have the thing about, like, whatever you think, whether Superman or Batman's your favorite, Batman only happened because of Superman. In reaction to Superman. Yeah, Yeah, because, because Detective Comics went to Bob Kane and said, we need you to create something like Superman. Yep. Dark and gritty. Yep. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing the Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Uh, now, uh, there's also an omnibus, a hardcover omnibus of that same collection. Very nice. Just depends on whether you want soft cover or, or, or the hardcover omnibus. Uh, the soft cover is much cheaper, just to let you know. Well. There's also a great story uh, collection called Superman, A Celebration of 75 Years. It's a hardcover. Action Comics number one is in it, and some of these other Golden Age tales. And then it jumps through the future and has modern day stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's also a fun one. There's Superman, The Golden Age Sundays. It's the oh, ni- yeah, yeah. 1943 and 1946. Now, this collects 170 sequential Sunday pages that have never been reprinted before except for this book, including some classic comics that began in 1943. And they kind of fill like a major gap in the Superman mythos. So there you go. And now we're going to move on to our teaching tweet. Yes, we're in 140 characters or less. Professor Jason will sum up the incredible amount of history that he just laid down at our feet. Yes. Here's my teaching tweet. Up on the power lines. It's a strong man who's going to punch me in the face and rebuild my tenement housing. Superman! Before we wrap up, I thought we'd have a really quick discussion. I just want to hear your opinions. Ashley, you said as we started this podcast that you had not read any of the Golden Age Superman. True. Um, what do you think about uh, Golden Age Superman? What what are your thoughts? I just gave you the lesson. What do you think about this character? And and um, is it surprising that this character became the character that we know it as today? Or are you surprised this character? I mean, just what do you think about Golden Age Superman? I guess I'm sad that Lois Lane was uh, was a bit of a dick. Yep, uh, that's the thing that I'm sad by. I'm. I'm a little bit surprised at how progressive he was, and we did we did touch on that a couple times. Although I think that when you look at the fact that he was creative eye to young poor, young hip cats, poor immigrants who lived in New York, you know, which is a fairly progressive city, even 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 in the 1930s, um, I, I find it less surprising. But still, there's some things where you're like, oh well, wow, like well done. I don't think it's surprising, especially when you consider the fact that he's the first one. He's there's a reason that he stands as the ultimate superhero. It's a reason why you had to kind of specialize after that. I don't think there's anything surprising about why the characters lasted. Um, and I think that a lot of the evolution from that point makes a lot of sense. But at its core, like he's still he's still the same. He's the same guy. And he's he's just less rambunctious. Sure. Now. But that's the way storytelling is. now. Yeah. But yeah. like it's still that he he's that he's an immigrant character who was raised in the heartland and exemplifies what you know what what America is all about. He goes to the city, he works, he puts his head down. He's a superhero with a heart of gold. He'll he'll save Lois even though she's mean to him. You know, like that. All those basic tenets of him is is still there, like who he is at his core. But yeah, yeah. I think there's no reason. I mean, if, if if someone told me that, like, wow, I read like you know ten Golden Age Superman stories and I can't believe that it lasted, I'd be like, really? Why? Well, I will say that to me, it was so different than anything else that Mm -hmm. was out there. And that's why the reason why I think a modern person could read the Golden Age Superman and be like, I don't get how it lasted is because they've read everything that's come after. But when you clear your mind space and you read that with the idea that there's nothing else, there's no other superheroes out there, then I think you're just like, what the hell is this? Because I think I think it's interesting. I think in those first 10 issues of Action Comics. You see an element in Superman that you see in other characters that just grab your imagination. You I mean, see, Batman's the same way. Batman, 
I was going to say Sherlock Holmes. Mm-hmm. I was going to say Captain Kirk. I was going to say the doctor. Yeah. You see something in that main character that makes you go, I want to know more about this guy. Mm-hmm. This guy is so fascinating how he does things. I need to know more about him. And if you um, if you do as a social experiment, if you want to see kind of what a lot of the other comics were doing at the time, um, go get your hands on. I think it is pep number 11 where Archie makes his first appearance because it's terrible. What year is that? Uh, I think it's the 30s. I think it is pre Superman, but I I don't have the I don't I don't have it looked uh-huh. up right now. Um, it's but like because yeah, Superman's June 38. Uh, because young you know young romance comics and westerns were kind of and war comics were kind it of the, the orders of the day exactly. And and this would have been so fresh and so exciting and so innovative, even though like. When you read them and when you read the Batman stuff, too, it feels very rushed because now we spend all these time on these origin stories. It's not just a paragraph and then boom, you're in these adventures. Yep. But it would have been like when Star Wars hit for the first time. It, mm. it was such a shift in the zeitgeist. Yep. Yeah, man. Superman's cool. Cool. There you go. That's it for the Golden Age Superman. Sometime in the future, we will cover Superman, the Silver Age, which will take Superman from the 1950s all the way into the 80s. 80s, yeah. Yeah, so that'll be an interesting time. And we'll get to talk about all these weird, like, Lois has been turned into a grasshopper. Yeah, for real, though. Up in the sky, it's a bird, it's a plane. No, it's Superman in the Silver Age. Your geek history lesson on Superman in the Silver Age is now in session. Hello and welcome to Geek History Lesson. I am Jason Kent Inman. I'm Ashley Victoria Robinson. Welcome to your Mind University because you have stumbled onto the podcast where we take one character, construct, or superhuman for popular culture and teach you everything you need to know about them in about an hour. But this month, Jason, there's a pretty... And this episode. And this episode. There's a pretty special thing going on, isn't dun, there? Da-da, da-da, That's the uh, Max Fleischer uh, Superman theme song, if you don't know. Uh, yes, uh, Superman is leading Action Comics, as we've all known. He's done it for 80 years. And Action Comics is going to cross a threshold that no other comic book in history has ever done a thousand issues. Action Comics are so old, guys. Yep. Um, (laughs) So in honor of that, we did an episode a long time ago called Superman in the Golden Age. Mm -hmm. Um, And we did that because Superman's history is so wide, it's so varied, that it seemed a shame to put Superman into only one episode. So mm-hmm. the bigger characters, mainly the Trinity, we have broken up into uh, the Golden Age, the Silver Age. Uh, we don't have a Silver Age Batman. We don't have a Silver Age Wonder Woman. You can request those at uh, geekhistorylesson.com or facebook.com slash geekhistorylesson. Or on Twitter um, at GHL Podcast. Yep. Uh, so, but this is the second installment in the giant history that is of Superman. And I thought, you know, in honor of Superman's 80th anniversary, there was no better time to do this episode. It's about time we circled back to yes, it. Yes. Uh, and a lot of people have requested uh, or, or, or asked for it. Nobody mm-hmm. requested. It, actually, I looked. Um, but, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, man, we want this one. We want this one. Mm-hmm, so that's mm-hmm. the reason why uh, we decided to do it. This is going to be the Silver Age. It's going to be a little bit different than a normal episode. What? There will be no 10 cent origin. Go back and listen to the Golden Age yep, one. Yep. <laughs> go back and listen to the Golden Age one. There will be no meet cute. Go back and listen to the Golden Age yep, one. Yep. Go back Golden Age one. You can find that on uh, iTunes or wherever you want to listen to. But buckle up. This is going to be a longer than normal episode. More bang for your buck. Yeah, that's right. Um, Now, first off, before we get into this, I want to remind you of the comic book ages. Ooh, okay. 
Okay, so the Golden Age, which we've already covered for Superman, mm-hmm. was from 1938 to 1956. Ashley, I want to ask you, do you remember... What is the event that ends the Golden Age and begins the Silver Age? Uh, Barry Allen? You are correct. It is the first appearance of Flash Barry Allen in showcase number four of October of 1956. See, sometimes I can remember stuff. Yes. Now, the Silver Age goes from 1956 to, Ashley, do you have a guess? Now, your answer might be different on this because we are going to get into some uncharted Geek History Lesson territory here. Whoa, what? Because there is a little bit of an argument about how many ages there are of comic books. Oh, I have feelings about this. And where they start and stop. Now, I have made a determination. Great. This and- is the Geek History Lesson determination. Whether you agree with me or not disagree with me, I don't care. This it's, is where it's fine. This is where my scholarly pursuits have led me for Superman. Ashley, where do you think the Silver Age is? Right, and I'm going to also say, if you listen to our other Golden Age episodes, we do a little bit of arbitrary timelines based on those specific characters as sure. well. Um, I am. I'm going to say that I think the Silver Age ends in 1978. Now. Some people will agree with you. Some people won't agree with you. I don't agree with you. Um, so, according to Y78, because uh, of Superman the movie? It has, I think it has something to do with um, the, the Justice Society. And or the, the DC and, implosion, uh, which the, was around that Yeah, outcome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and it, I know it has to do with Earth, too, but I can't remember the specific event. Now, in my research, um, neither one of those came up. Okay. I have determined by my research... That the Silver Age ends, in my view, in 1970. Really? Yes. Now, the reason... Well, because that is when the Bronze Age starts of comic books. The Bronze Age of comic books. Now, the Bronze Age of comic books... the Bronze Age starts that early? Yes, and let me explain why. Why? Uh, I'm trying to teach you. This is what this podcast is about. Why? So, the Bronze Age is the thing that I was talking about. Mm -hmm. The Bronze Age is the part of comic book age histories that some people are like, that doesn't exist! Um, Yeah. There is one definite date that everybody does agree. 1985 Crisis on Infinite uh-huh. Earths is the beginning of the, the modern, modern age. of comics, yeah. Yes. Um, the Bronze Age is where people disagree. And my research, there is no single event or comic book that really kicks off the Bronze Age and ends the Silver Age. Not, not in the same accepted way as Barry Allen. Yes. However, I picked a comic book because I think this is the beginning of it. The, Ooh, the reason I have a guess. The reason for the Bronze Age is because the tone of comics in the 70s shifted mm-hmm. to being more socially aware, mm-hmm. to being more political, mm-hmm. uh, to not just being hokey. Hey, there's an alien. Let's punch him. Mm-hmm. So I'm calling the beginning of Bronze Age for this issue mm-hmm. as April 1970. With the issue of Green Lantern, mm. where Green Arrow was added as the title character. So you start with Hard Traveling Heroes. Uh, a little bit before Hard Traveling Heroes, but where the series by Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams focused on poverty mm-hmm. and, and, and Speedy became a drug addict. I just and, meant more of that era. Sure, yeah. So like that's to me, is the start of the Bronze Age. It's interesting. Um, I've heard that argument before. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily disagree with it. Um, I find that the argument for when the Bronze Age begins mm-hmm. is either 
uh, Green Lantern, Green Arrow, or it's uh, New Teen Titans is often a big demarcation oh. as well. So like, for, didn't New Teen Titans not start till 1980 though? It doesn't start until 1980, okay. but for a lot of people, the Bronze Age is only 80 to 85. Yeah, I can so, see that. Um, I don't know. I, once I read um, the argument about the Greenland and Green Arrow series, mm-hmm. I kind of had to agree because it does not have a silver agey tone. That's fair. That's so. fair. All right. So there you go. Uh, let's go back into Superman and the Silver Age. Now, this lesson, as I said, is going to be a little bit different. We're going to go into fictional character history. Mm-hmm. We're going to go out to publication history mm-hmm. and a bunch of stuff like that. OK, so back to Superman. Okay. Before we can go any further in talking about the comic book Superman, we have to talk about a real-world event that rocked Superman to his core. Holy smokes. On June 16th of 1958, George Reeves, Superman, the star of The Adventures of Superman, was found dead from a gunshot wound. Now, this is not a comic book event, but there is no way you could talk about Superman in the Silver Age, especially the Silver Age starting in 58. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Without talking, or 54, excuse me, uh, 56, excuse me, sorry. Uh, we have to talk about George Reeves. Okay. Um, so there was an open shut case of suicide, said the L.A. police. But many friends of George Reeves friends uh, called it a murder and there was no shortage of suspects or motives. And this event not only rocked Superman fans to his core, because I don't know if you know, George Reeves had Beatlemania levels of fans when he went out in public. Did he really? He did. He got hounded and he got harassed. Because everybody saw him as Superman. The Adventures of Superman was an insanely popular show. Mm. It was so popular. It was so popular that George Reeves could get hired for no other gigs because everybody saw him as Superman. Mm. And he actually died uh, in poverty. Uh, Yeah, Um, I knew that. So George Reeves' death leads to something called the Superman curse. Okay. Ashley, do you know what this is? No. Uh, to be fair, everything I know about George Reeves could fit in a thimble. Well, this has more to do than not George Reeves. So. Well, I, do, I don't know. No, I don't know anything so, about this. <laughs> I, this. I don't really believe in this curse, Okay, but I thought it was interesting to mention. Sure. The Superman curse refers to a series of supposedly related misfortunes that have plagued creative people involved in many adaptations of Superman. Mm. Another reasoning of the Superman curse is, of course, Christopher Reeve, sure. who played Superman in four theatrical films who was paralyzed in a 1995 horseback riding accident Mm -hmm. um, and then died nine years later. Another person that has supposedly connected these series of misfortunes of Superman is Bud Collier or Collier, excuse me. Uh, He voiced the first Superman cartoon from 1941 to 1943. He later voiced Superman again in 1966. Three years after that 1966 voicing, he was found dead of a ailment, uh, a heart ailment in the age of 61. Wow. Now, there is a full listing of how they tie. They blame Margot Kidder going crazy on this. Um, all basically, if you're tied to a Superman thing and anything bad went went wrong in your life, they say it's a Superman curse. Um, it's so, like some poltergeist level nonsense. Well, there's a full list of them online, and just because I'm not going to mention all of them, but I thought because there were so many, does Richard Pryor fall into that? Uh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I feel we had to talk about it. Yeah, 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 so, totally. All right, let's get back to the let's get to the topic, the okay. comics. Yeah, let's. let's go to the comics. Comics. The, the Topics. Comic books. Atomics. Atomics. I'm going to call them Tomics. Silly books. Funny books. Um, so the one thing about the Silver Age mm-hmm. and the comics of Superman and the Silver Age is in the late 1950s, this is where the version of Superman that we know of as Superman takes shape finally. Because, Ashley, how would you describe Golden Age Superman? 
Um, I think the big blue Boy Scout is a pretty apt description of Silver Age Superman. Well, yeah, yes, that's, that's where we'll get to that. How, what do, how do you feel? Let's let's talk about the differences. How do you feel Golden Age Superman is? Oh, um, Golden Age Superman is um, rougher around the edges. Yep. He's a lot angrier mm-hmm. um, and more powerful. I th- he's very direct. Yeah, that, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I think is a reflection of the time. Would you call him a Boy Scout? Mm, no. Yeah, exactly. Because Boy Scout has this sort of like twee connotation to it um, and a softer side that I don't think we get to to the Silver mm-hmm. Age. Now, the Silver Age also has a softening of a lot of characters around yep. this time. Batman and Robin um, have like a very emotional relationship throughout the Silver Like Dick is constantly crying mm-hmm. throughout the Silver Age. And maybe, maybe that's hippies. I don't know. But yeah, I think, I also think a reason why the Silver Age Superman or a lot of what we love is defined by that is because that's what so strongly inspired the 78 movie, which for many people remains the defining Superman. The definite Superman, yeah. yes. Um, so when editorial duties at DC Comics were redistributed, Mort Weisinger got sole control over Superman. Okay. This resulted in him developing the Superman legend, basically everything we know about Superman, because he was so set on developing continuity mm. in Superman. And this is actually... Mort, that's his name? Mort Weisinger. Mort, yeah. you are ahead of your time, um, baby. He is actually uh, credited with the first serious attempt at developing continuity in comics history. Wow. Now, even though some of, a lot of the issues have, you know, one-off adventures and stuff sure, like sure, that, sure. they always refer to past adventures now. Oh, that's cool. So, um, an instrumental force also behind the Superman being developed in the Silver Age was Jerry Siegel. Hey, Who's that guy? One of the creators of Superman. Yep. He actually returned to DC in 1959 to write the adventures of Superman once again. I didn't know that. Yep. That's awesome. And Weisinger and Siegel, together with science fiction greats like Edmund Hamill, Hamilton, mm-hmm. who wrote the uh, great uh, action comics to uh, 300, I believe, uh, and Otto Bender, who's responsible for a lot of Legion of Superhero stuff. We've mentioned him in a number yep. of Geek History lessons. They all set out to, their goal was to define the personalities of the characters in Superman and all the Superman mythos. So they wanted each character to be distinct and to have an understandable personality. Interesting. So because of this... This is the reason why at this time in Superman's history, we start seeing more of his childhood adventures Ah, and more more rewritings of his origin, including the addition of Lex Luthor to his origin. Mm -hmm. So in the comic books, um, the public notification of Smallville being Superboy's home brings the young Lex Luthor into Superboy's life. And this actually results in their lifelong hatred of each other. Mm-hmm. This is also the story where Luthor receives his first name. Mm. Before this, he was only known as Luthor. Luther. Now, Lex Luthor had a massive talent for scientific inventiveness, which asserted itself, of course, in Lex's earliest days. He became highly interested in the public exploits of Superboy because he became obsessed with him, and he forced his parents to move to Smallville so that he could be closer to Superboy. That's so funny. Because Lex was like, I'm going to be his sidekick. Lex, Foolish. <laughs> yep. Lex focused all of his scientific skills on finding some way to help out Superboy. And he eventually discovered Superboy's weakness to kryptonite. Mm. And he decided 
to make a cure to the meteorite's effects on Superboy. Aww. So Lex began to experiment with various exotic materials, which were dangerous and explosive. How do you get those yep. in the Silver Age? There ain't no eBay. Look, this is back in the 1950s. There's no safety regulations anywhere. I guess you start working when you're a like 12. Kid, so. A kid could have walked into a nuclear missile silo and everybody would have been like, look at that boy. Ah, <laughs> oh, good lad. So everywhere. Sure. So... The chemicals, of course, reacted badly and exploded in Lex's lab, filling the room with various poisonous gases. Superboy reacted to the explosion. He arrived to find Lex, you know, close to death, but was unable to enter the room because of the kryptonite. So Superboy stood outside of the room and blew the kryptonite and gases out of the room, saving Lex's life. But the exhaust from when Superboy blew the chemicals over Lex resulted in permanently removing all of the hair from Lex's uncovered head. Oh, no. There's a very funny cover of this. Lex was shocked to find his perfect idol do such a blunderous save. He was Mm -hmm. mad. And Lex was inconsolable upon his disfigurement. That's what he called losing his hair. Which he thought... It's a little melodramatic. Yeah. He thought it was deliberate. He's a teenager. Of course he thought it was deliberate. So he took the partially completed kryptonite cure and destroyed it in front of Superboy, pledging there and then that he would dedicate his life to proving that he was superior to Superboy. What a dick. Yep. Now, Ashley, I want to ask you a question. Mm -hmm. Do you like or dislike Lex Luthor being a part of Superboy's origins? Mm, I don't need Lex and um, Superboy... To have existed in the same time. I think it's dramatically more interesting if this adult man becomes fixated on Superman. So so wait on Lex until Superman comes to Metropolis. I agree. Yeah, that's my preference. I know you like their early relationship or a version of it. I was against it Mm -hmm. until the TV series Smallville. And then Smallville, I thought, did it so well. That I was like, you know what? I'm fine with this. Okay. I'm fine with it now. Look so, at you admitting uh, that you can change your mind. I know, right? Yeah, oh, my God. Out. Comic book fans can change their opinion? My what? God. Um, so on a more positive and non-Luther note, uh, Superboy in the comic book soon became a member of the Legion of Superheroes. Hey, those guys. Existing in the far future of the 30th century, the Legion of Superheroes was a teenage troop of superheroes, and they came from different planets and inherited superpowers. The organization easily inducted Superboy as a member, and he would go on to become one of their most distinguished numbers and members. Nice. Uh, During Clark's teenage years on Earth, the Kents also sold their farm and became shopkeepers in Smallville for a time. Really? Yeah, this actually happened. And they settled into a more modern lifestyle supporting Clark's day-to-day life as well as his superhero activities because he's Superboy. But they grew elderly and eventually died of tropical fever when they were on a cruise. (laughs) I am not joking. That is the Silver Age death of the Kents. They go on a cruise and they die. Well, Um, Tim Drake's mom goes on a cruise and gets kidnapped and murdered, Mm -hmm. so I guess it's viable. (laughs) Now, before dying, Jonathan Kent reminded Clark to continue doing good deeds and to not lose sight of who he was. For the first time in Action Comics 262, because we're going to continue this trend of new concepts that we know about being introduced in the Silver Age, in March of 1960, the notion that Superman's powers derive from the yellow sun radiation appears for the very first time. 
time. Whoa. 20 years after his, uh, over 20 years after his first appearance. That's wild. In Superman 146 in July of 1961, the explanation is amplified. It says that Superman's muscular powers, his super strength, his speed, and his flight are attributed to gravity, and the powers of his super senses, X-ray vision, telescopic vision, are attributed to the yellow sun. And vulnerability is sort of compared to a super suntan. Mm. Later, <laughs> yeah. Later, this was all altered <laughs> to make a portion of his flying ability a also from the yellow sun. That's so 1960s. Um, <laughs> now, the new explanation also provided an unexpected bonus of a new weakness for Superman by making stories where he no longer had superpowers on a world without a yellow sun. Cool. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Around this time, a continuing series of adventures concerning Kal-El's life on Krypton established for the first time that Clark was at least three years old and fluent in Kryptonese. Mm. What's Kryptonese, Ashley? The language of Krypton. Yep. Before the explosion of his planet. No more would he spend the first decades of his life wondering what he was and why he was so different. He would always remember Krypton from this point forward. I don't like that. I was going to ask you about that. I also know that um, a very early version of Krypto followed um, Cal to Earth because he was his childhood pet and like they had a bond. We'll get to crypto. You just leave, oh. you leave him be. You leave crypto be. Okay. Stay boy. Okay. Stay. Um, so yeah, I, don't, I, I, I like Clark leaving Krypton without a memory of Krypton because I like... I honestly think that's more tragic. I like Supergirl remembering Krypton mm-hmm. and not Clark. But um, again, this is the Silver Age and the Silver Age really expands Krypton a lot. Yeah. This is the most we're going to talk about it really because I, I think other stuff's more important. Cool. All right. Now back to the publishing history. Okay. Uh, Moit Weisinger's next move was to introduce a title for our favorite Superman supporting character, Lois Lane. And we talked a little bit about this in the Golden Age, but I want to talk a little bit more about this. Uh, Superman's Lois Lane, Superman's girlfriend, debuted, or Superman's girlfriend, Lois Lane, excuse me, debuted its first issue in March of 1958. In the first story, 
I'm going to tell you about this. Okay. Lois becomes the witch of Metropolis. Love it. So she goes to a museum opening. Hey, she's a witch. And yep. Lana was also a witch. Yep. <laughs> and there she accidentally breaks a mirror at this exhibit about this crazy lady that people thought could be a witch. Mm. She returns home to type up her story and finds herself transformed into a green and grotesque witch. Great. She runs out onto the street thinking about going back to the museum to cure her form, but she sees Superman in this ugly form and pretends to not know who he is. As she wanders back to the museum she sees a robbery and as they begin to shoot her she assumes that if she is now a witch then surely she can cast a spell and she says yes Lois live your best life and she says hicks hawks hex bullets aside and the bullets don't hit her. Yes, Lois. Yep. She returns home <laughs> I want that on a t-shirt. Yep. She returns home uh, and the sun rises mm-hmm. and her face returns to normal. Mm-hmm. But the next night she turns into a witch again and she uh, decides to do what any human being would do when they turn into a witch. Hex a broomstick and ride it. Exactly. She has great days. Yep. Uh, <laughs> eventually Lois though in her evil uh, witchy mind uh-huh. decides to betray Superman. No. And reveal his secret identity. Lois. But at the last second her conscience takes over. And Superman comes to her later. She's crying her eyes out mm-hmm. and actually reveals that she wasn't cursed ever. She'd actually been doused with an old age gas. What? Yep. From a science visit that she had after the museum. And she had to believe that she was a witch or else she would have gone crazy. So Superman faked all her powers over the last couple of days to make sure that she wouldn't go crazy until the old age serum wore off. I mean, that's basically it was all a dream. Yep. Um, Get ready, because this is starting to lead off into uh, what most people define the Silver Age as. Now, real quickly, before uh, we move on from Lois Lane, at the peak of its popularity in 1962, Superman's girlfriend Lois Lane was the third best-selling comic book in the United States. Holy smokes. This book lasted for 16 years. Years. It has some of um, my all-time favorite comic book covers. Yep. Um, and, and to me, as well, leads to that it is insane that Lois Lane doesn't have a book in current DC Universe continuity at the time of this recording. Correct. So, uh, now, as I said, this period of Superman can also be known as quite silly uh, because of the Silver Age, and this is where we're going to get into it. Uh, stories were mostly dreams, weirdo stuff, and one of DC's crazier policies for comic books at this time was to hire artists to draw crazy I covers. I was hoping we were going to that up. And then force the writers to write a plot to match that cover. Yeah. So you'd be like, why are they on an elephant? Mm-hmm. Who knows? Yep. So this led to some of the sillier and crazier Superman adventures that you will ever hear about. And I have a small sampling. Oh, I'm so, my body is so ready. Okay, here we go. Yeah. Let's start off with Action Comics number 243. This cover, it has Superman with a lion head. Great. It's probably the defining image of the Silver Age. Mm -hmm. Um, It is a story in which a descendant of the mythological being called Cersei gives Superman mineral water that turns him into a lion man because he won't marry her. Mineral water. He flies around helping people while hiding his lion face, even though, you know, this is the DC Universe and weird stuff happens every day. People couldn't handle Superman as a lion. Yeah. Uh, Superman eventually heads back to the Fortress of Solitude, checks the library, finds a book that explains to him how to create an antidote specifically for lion heads. Oh, that's lucky. Um, and it works because Superman has a vast and extensive library of books about curing lion, lion heads. heads. 
That's a fear I have. That's Action Comics 243. My face being turned into a lion. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ashley, have you ever heard about the Super Merman of the Sea? Uh, n- no. This I is know a- he dated a mermaid. Well, this has nothing to do with that. <laughs> um, Action Comics number 244 in September of 1958. Uh, while fi- flying, this is Superman, the cover is him sitting on a crown, or excuse me, sitting on a throne, and he has a weird seashell crown across his head. And he's like the ruler. Is ru- he a mermaid tail? Uh, no, he's just like the ruler oh, of the bummer. sea. So this story is, while flying across the Atlantic, Superman spots a rocket ship that slams into the ocean. <laughs> Investigating, he finds two people trapped inside. Sure. Superman tears the metal door off, allowing the man and the woman to swim free. The man introduces himself as Volcor, and his companion is his daughter, Layla. Absolutely. Or Lila. I think it's Lila. Uh, as the two alien mermaids cannot breathe normal air, Superman decides to exile himself to the undersea to help him acclim- acclimate permanently. He just wants to enter into a polyamorous, polyamorous mm. relationship with yep. them. He uses nameplates from sunken vessels to create a floaty message to explain his absence from the world. And a what? Pa- yep. And what? a yep. and a passing mariner finds the signs and alerts the world that Superman is now living under the sea. That's stupider than the lion head. Oh, we're not done yet. <laughs> uh, news of Superman's exile reaches the United Nations, and the Assembly decide that it's necessary to bring Superman back by force. Yeah, because this. <laughs> Jesus yep. Christ. They, okay. They order a sea dragnet and a submarine armed with kryptonite tipped torpedoes forces Superman to react. Eventually he finds out that Volcor and his daughter are bad, so Superman then poisons the sea with oversalting because the aliens can't stand that. Nor and, can the fish mm-hmm. or the mammals. Yep. And it tricks the aliens into leaving. Because if there's one thing Silver Age Superman is a, is about, it's about tricking people constantly. Great. Because here's the thing. <laughs> Superman surreal. Silver Age Superman knew two things. He knew how to um, solve problems either by trust-shattering levels of lying and deceit and by punching people and animals right in their stupid faces. Great. Yep. And this begins the aspect of Superman, another aspect of Superman from the Silver Age. That's Superman being a super dick. Ooh, Batman's not even a super dick until the 90s. And there's a whole website dedicated. I think it's called superdickery.com. Oh, it is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's about like all the crazy covers and stuff like that or whatever. Uh, Here's another version. We'll share some on the Facebook page, I'm Uh, sure. Superboy number 24 is a cover where uh, Superboy is fat. Oh, I've seen this. And Lana Lang makes fun of him. Yep, it's great. In this issue... Superboy, who's only been away for two weeks, Mm -hmm. returns to Smallville only to discover something shocking. All the students at Smallville High have become super fat for no reason, including Clark's sweetheart, Lana Lang. Rude. And if you want to listen to our Lana Lang Gekestra lesson, uh, you know, it's last week. Yeah, I have feelings about Lana. Or it's two weeks ago. Sorry. I don't know math. Yep. The next day, Superboy swells up like a balloon, causing Lana to get suspicious because if Clark is fat and Superboy is fat, then Clark must be Superboy. Yep, that's pretty much Lana's whole deal. Now, Superboy eventually discovers that the entire town has been drinking milk tainted with growth formula and thanks to some stupid cows who ate tainted crops. Tell me how you feel about those cows, Jason. Uh, stupid cows. <laughs> now, Superboy eventually fixes his secret identity problem with tricking Lana into doubting that he and Clark are the same person. Mm, they probably yep. just put some protein powder in their yep. milk. And another issue from this time, a giant gorilla with kryptonite eyes is attacking Superman. <laughs> and it looks like the laser beams are shooting Superman right in the butt. Great. Um, this giant ape is Titano, the giant ape monster who shoots kryptonite lasers from his eyes. Great. <laughs> now, Titano is a 
evil. He's actually he's not an evil super intelligent ape like Grot, like really. That's Grot. a disappointment. Nor is he an ape with an evil man's brain like the ultra humanite. Also disappointing. Nope. He's a normal ape who, in his debut, was dubbed one of the world's most intelligent apes when he was shot into space and driven mad by space radiation. Great. Um, and it's very he, fantastic for Titano actually shows up several times in the Silver Age. And he becomes a classic Silver Agey villain of Superman. Every time Superman decides that the best way to deal with this giant space mad creature is to do what, Ashley? How, how do you think Superman, ooh, ooh, how do you ooh, defeat ooh. a mad ape? Punch him in his stupid face. You punch him right in his stupid face and it works every time. Hey, uh, DC Comics, I know you're listening to this podcast. I would like to formally request that you bring uh, Titano back into the current uh, DC Comics Superman continuity. Thank you. He's been, actually showed up a couple times post-crisis. Uh, great. Yep. Uh, let's go to Superman number 125. Great. Um, on the cover of this issue, uh, Superman is um, blasting rainbows from his fingertips. Ooh. This is the Rainbow Hand Superman cover. Um, here's a fun fact. Superman never has rainbow hands inside the comic. It only happens on the cover. We just felt very gay that yep. day. <laughs> That's it. That's great. Love it. Um, Superman 125. Uh, here is where Superman probably gets the coolest power that he's ever had. Are you lying? No, I'm actually serious. Okay. This is like the coolest power that I think okay, Superman could okay, ever okay, have. Okay, okay. In the story, Superman gains a brand new superpower. The ability to shoot a tiny Superman out of his hand. <laughs> That's dumb. Yes, you heard me right. <laughs> there is a tiny super. super this tiny Superman does he go back into Superman's hand. Yeah, sometimes. Where does he live? I, like in his forearm? I don't know. In the tiny fortress of solitude. <laughs> in the minuscule fortress of solitude. Inside Superman's forearm. So, so Superman holds up his hand. A tiny Superman comes out of his palm, and this tiny Superman gets all of Superman's powers, leaving regular super sized Superman to just sort of hang out while tiny Superman saves people. Oh, so they can't both have superpowers no. at the same time. So everyone starts praising tiny Superman for his heroism. <laughs> so of course. What if Superman we, gets jealous. Oh, Silver Age Superman gets super jealous. Good. And he does the most Silver Agey Superman thing that he could ever Silver Agey do. He plots the death of his tiny duplicate. All- <laughs> <laughs> I just was just really hoping that you said that like he was going to punch him and splat him or no. something. <laughs> um, because, you know, he decides that, of course, Metropolis is only big enough for one Superman. One regular size Superman. Yep. So... Actually, normal Superman never gets the chance to murderize tiny Superman because tiny Superman actually sacrifices himself to save Metropolis. And once that happens, normal Superman gets all of his regular powers back. Uh, there is a very funny take on this story that you could do with one of the Adam characters. I can't quite figure it out sure. right now, but if someone would like to pay me, I'd love to write it. Sure. <laughs> uh, but, you know, someone who has paid us, and that is Lisa. Ooh. That is, uh, we're going to stop real quick and we're going to thank our sponsor, uh, Lisa Mattresses. That's L E E S. A, yes, very important to get the spelling right. They send, they sent us an amazing mattress. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've slept on it. Yep, it's amazing. Yep. It's comfortable. It's it's cooling, and uh, they want you to spring into a better sleep. And Lisa actually is offering the deepest discount they've ever offered to <gasps> our listeners right now. They're giving you hundred and twenty five dollars off any mattress if you go to lisa.com slash geek history now. Not only should you go to this link because Lisa is an amazing sponsor, but Lisa also 
donates one mattress for every 10 sold, and they plant one tree for every order received. Awesome. So they've donated 23,000 mattresses so far. Uh, Lisa Mattress is loved by 300,000 happy sleepers and counting. They have a socially conscious mission to end bedlessness in America, Aww. which I think is great. And they want you sleeping for a deeper night's sleep. So go to lisa.com, that's L-E-E-S-A, slash geek history to get $125 off. And I'm certain that Lisa.com supports tiny supermans all over the world because they don't want them to be bedlessness either. No. So there you go. Thank you so much to Lisa.com for sponsoring this episode. Heck yeah. All right, let's go back to the Superman in the Silver Age. Is he still tiny? No, we're going to Oh, right, tiny Superman died. Let's go out into publication history here. Okay. Uh, Now, Mort Weisinger, remember him? Yeah, I like this guy. He had said during his tenure on Superman that he wanted to introduce Introduce a new concept to Superman every six months. His goal was to make sure that Superman was more than a fad. Mm -hmm. And that is why some people call this period, beginning in 1958, the Superman Renaissance. Mm. Now, actually, one writer gets more of the credit than any other writer during the Superman Renaissance time, and that is Otto Bender. Bender. And you have heard of Otto Bender, correct, Ashley? Oh, yeah. Now, Otto Bender, if you don't know who he is, he created Crypto the Superdog. Yes, Crypto! The Phantom Zone. Ooh. Lucy Lane. <gasps> Who's that, Ashley? That's La- Lana Lang. That's Lois Lane's little sister, who you may have seen on mm-hmm. Supergirl. He created Beppo the Super Monkey. Jason's favorite. He introduced Jimmy Olsen's Signal Watch. Nice. And he introduced the most important character of all, Titano the Super Ape. Aw, Otto. Buddy. Yep. Why you gotta do that ape sit? Um, also, the Silver Age would introduce the Fortress of Solitude, mm. which debuted in 1958 uh, and was also, of course, located in the Arctic. Um, it was on the side of a steep cliff, and the fortress was accessible through only a large gold-colored door with a giant keyhole, which required an enormous key to open it. Do you like the big key? No, not really. Okay. It's been revisited a couple times, so I was just interested if you maybe liked other versions of it. Um, no, I like actually the All-Star Superman version of it, where it's just a tiny normal key because it's made of like it's dark. It's very heavy. Because it's like of dark matter. Yeah. Like only Superman can lift it. Cool. Um, because there have been several jokes in modern storylines where everybody is like, oh, Superman, if you put your key outside your door, of course we're going to go inside. Mm-hmm. Um, so the arrow shaped key at this time was so large that only Superman or another Kryptonian such as Supergirl could lift it. And of course it sat outside the fortress front door. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there you go. Um, the fortress also soon came home to be the be become the home, excuse me, of the bottle city of Candor. Candor with a K. When Brainiac showed up. During his first clash with the super crook Brainiac, Superman retrieved Candor, which was a Kryptonian city stolen and shrunk by Brainiac before the explosion of Krypton. Mm. Happy to meet more survivors, Superman stored the bottle city in his fortress and promised to find a way to enlarge them. And he'd come to fulfill his promise, helping the Kandorian survivors settle on the planet of Rokin. I think that's how you say it. It's R-O-K-Y-N. That's what I would say. I've never heard it said out loud. Cool. A few months later, after finding Kandor, Superman witnessed a Kryptonian rocket crashing near Metropolis. Mm-hmm. Superman went to check out what was the, the deal with this rocket, and he found his cousin, 
Kara. Kara <gasps> Zarel. Kara Zarel. Overjoyed to find his long lost relative but unable to take care of her in the time, Superman sent her to his teen cousin to Midvale Orphanage as he trained her. That's so yep. rude. I know. He could, she could just live in his apartment. It's fine. Kara eventually concluded her training and was adopted and claimed the name of Supergirl, becoming one of Superman's most trustworthy allies. Also, we have a Kara episode if you'd like to go mm-hmm. listen to it. And then in Adventure Comics number 210, Crypto the Superdog showed. Oh, he's the goodest boy. Uh, on Krypton, there was a parallel evolution that led to the emergence of an analogous species to Terran cats, simians, birds, and dogs. Mm-hmm. Basically, cats, monkeys, birds, and dogs on Krypton look exactly the same. Yep. Uh, they were also domestic companion animal animals on Krypton as they were on Earth. Uh, as explained in his first appearance, Crypto was originally the toddler Kal-El's dog when they were both on Krypton. And Jor-El, while testing some prototypes for the rocket that would send Kal-El to Earth, decided to use Krypton as a test subject. However, Crypto's rocket was knocked off course and the rocket drifted through space for years until it eventually landed on Earth. Kryptonians aren't that good at aiming rockets. No, or their rockets have terrible guidance systems. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> now, the early appearances of Crypto in the comics usually featured some exaggerated anthropomorphic facial expressions, but they were eventually all replaced to make it just look like a dog. Sure, fair. (laughs) When fighting crime, Crypto usually wore a gold collar and a miniature facsimile of the famed Superman S symbol for a dog tag, and also a dog-sized version of Superman's cape. (laughs) Whenever he was on Earth and wanted to appear as an ordinary dog, Crypto would simply pull his collar and its attached cape off, pulling it back on when necessary. In one story, he was gifted with a collar that contained a retractable cape with the collar that could be unfurled or, or, you know, or unhidden by pressing a stud on his collar. Now, while not accompanying Superboy or Superman, Crypto spent much of his time romping through space. However, when he was on Earth with the Ken family, he usually posed as their pet dog, Skip. They called him Skip? I they called him Skip. That. And in that identity, his guardians would apply a brown dye patch on his back for a disguise when Crypto would later burn it off at this heat vision when he went into costume. Jesus. So he'd sort of just get a spot. He would just be casual Snoopy? Yep. Yeah, basically. <laughs> so at this time, so many new Kryptonian survivor characters were added to the Superman lore. Mm-hmm. And apparently young comic readers at the time loved all of them. Wow. They could not get enough, and Superman's book sales actually grew. Wow. Now, Ashley, I'm going to ask you a question here. Mm. Do you think Superman should be the only survivor of Krypton? We've had this discussion yes. in previous episodes. Or, if not, um, do you have a favorite survivor of Krypton that's not Superman? I have feelings about this. Um, the only human survivor, or the only Kryptonian survivor that I'm okay with is Supergirl. Um, and I and I I could really mm, this is going to sound hateful. I don't mean to sound hateful. I like the character of Supergirl a lot. I've enjoyed many car stories. But if Supergirl went away from Superman lore and we never saw any more Kryptonians again, we just saw Superman, Superman, I'd be OK with it. I would, too. But if we're going to have one, it should be Kara. Yep. I don't need any Kryptonian villains, but I got a soft spot for Crypto. He's really cute. I'm surprised you like Crypto. I do like Crypto. Because he's kind of goofy. He looks like the he looks like my family dog growing up. Oh, that's uh, why you that's like why, him? Yeah. Did you give a cape to your dog growing up? Uh, no, we were not allowed to dress up our animals. Oh, uh, okay. Also, she was a lady dog. 
Uh, well, actually, you should know that Superman couldn't be the only superhero to have their own super pet, so Supergirl got her super pet uh, yes! as well. It's time to talk about Streaky, Streaky, the super cat. In Action Comics number 261 in February of 1960, Supergirl was experimenting on a piece of green kryptonite in an attempt to find a way to neutralize its deadly effects. When her experiment failed, she tossed the kryptonite, or X-kryptonite as it was known in the issue, out the window. Though her experiment failed, her current pet, Streaky, Mm -hmm. came across the X-Kryptonite and was exposed to its radiation. And as the comics described it, due to the unique combination of chemicals and X-Kryptonite, it has given Streaky superpowers. Now, this, to me, says that in comic book history, as a Smallville fan, you're going to know what I'm talking about, Streaky the Supercat is the very first meteor, meteor freak. freak. <laughs> and that's, a, of course, if you don't know what we're talking about, in Smallville, all of Clark's enemies in the first like three to four or five seasons were people that were exposed to the radiation of kryptonite and they got superpowers. Uh, that's really that's really cute. And uh, there's a really fun way that you could incorporate that into a comic book. And I would... Uh, that she's a meteor freak? I would uh, love DC to hire us right there. All right, Ashley. Okay. Um, I'm going to bring to you the challenge of the super pets. Oh, boy. Can you name the four? Actually, I'm going to tell you this. Can you name all the super pets? No. Of su- just Superman. No. Um, there's name the ones you know. Crypto. Yes. Streaky. Yep, we got those two. Beppo. Beppo the super monkey. Uh, whatever the horse's name is. Comet. Oh, yeah, Comet, Comet the super horse. The one that's maybe Kara's boyfriend and maybe not. Yeah, maybe I missed it. We're not going to talk about that. Um, that's it, right? There are others. Oh, well, then I have no idea. Those are the main four. Yeah. Are those four. Uh, the other ones are... Um, Hissy the snake. No. Uh, fun fact. Titano, the super ape, eventually gets ex- eventually becomes a super pet in the I future. I just want to swear right but, now. Yeah. That's dumb. <laughs> uh, there's also Squawky, the super parrot. He was from Krypton and was dreamed up by Supergirl in an alternate history where her super pet was Squawky instead of Crypto. No. There's also no. <laughs> there's also Superfly, who was an ordinary fly that was accidentally no. given the powers and abilities of Superman no. by Lex Luthor. These are terrible. No. There, here's one that you're going to love. Okay. Is it a fox? No. It's another cat. <gasps> Wizzy, the super cat. What color is Wizzy? Uh, I don't remember. I'm going to Google it. I don't know. Wizzy, the super cat, is the 30th century descendant of Streaky the Super Cat. Wizzy can stay. Except Wizzy has gained powers over the course of time and is also telepathic. So you could talk to your kitty. Great. I want it. Yeah. I don't remember. I think Wizzy's the same color. Wizzy's either white or gold. I can't remember. Exactly. I will let you know shortly. Yes. Um, all right. So, Ashley, so we've learned about all the super pets and Wizzy's really cool. Wizzy is uh, gold. Yeah. Uh, exactly like And Streaky. also wears a space suit. Well, it's a, that it is gold and red. It's the future. It's amazing. Ashley, it's time to talk about how Superman... Got his groove back? No. (laughs) Like when Harry met Sally, it's time to talk about when Superman met Batman. Oh, okay. (laughs) I was like, what? Now, four years in the comic books, they appeared in team comics rarely. Mm -hmm. Um, They would be on the cover, but they wouldn't be on the inside. And they were both on the cover of several issues of World's Finest. But fun fact, the comic in the beginning 
actually had separate adventures for the heroes. They never teamed up in them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was an anthology book originally. Mm. Now, it is credited as the cancellation of All-Star Comics that led to the Superman editors finally teaming these two icons together. Now, this actually happened in 1951, so we're kind of backing up chronologically if you're, if you're sort of following along in time. Um, so the issue where this happens, uh, during the issue of Superman, um, billionaire Bruce Wayne and reporter Clark Kent found themselves forced to room together on a crowded cruise ship. When a fire erupted on board, Bruce switched the lights off in an attempt to change into the Batman costume so he could save the day, and Clark took the opportunity to change into Superman at the exact same time. Fate played its hand, and a light suddenly shone through the cabin's window, exposing each other's secret identity to their bunk mates. Man, the dude who wrote um, Seduction of the Innocent is having a field day. Yep. Uh, though the heroes forged a friendship by the story's ends, they seemed to be the end of it, and no further mention of Batman was found in Superman's line of books. And the same was true of Superman and Batman's books, and the pair went their separate ways and didn't speak again. But can you imagine if you had been reading Batman and Superman comics all this time, there's really no continuity, and then this happens? Like, mm-hmm. it would have been incredible. Yep. By 1954, World's Finest Comics had moved from a quarterly title to a bi-monthly one, and the comic was a huge 68 pages. Now, the decision came down to shorten the number of pages in the title, and this would drop the cost of the book from 15 cents to a dime, with the hopes that the pri- a price reduction would help the title sell better. However, less pages meant that one of the two main features, Batman or Superman had to be lost. So was it going to be Superman kicked out of World's Finest or was it going to be Batman? Now, remembering that the two heroes had actually met years earlier, an editor rolled the dice and created a new main feature featuring both Superman and Batman working together issue after issue. I love that the solution is what like we could get rid of Batman or Superman, but why not Batman and, and Superman. Superman. Um, the plan actually worked, and World's Finest Comics became a must-read title for both Superman and Batman fans, and the title ran almost continuously until 1986. Uh, I maintain that, uh, kind of like you mentioned about Lois Lane earlier, that there should always be a World's Finest I title. I was just about to say that. <laughs> uh, like Action Comics, I was going to say, like I think DC should always have a title uh, called The World's Finest mm-hmm. in some form or aspect. So yeah. I'm glad you agree with that as I well. I um, So let's, move, let's talk about several of uh, Superman's Silver Age adventures with Batman. Okay. Then um, this is just going to be a bunch of, uh, you know, a bunch of different ones, you know. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, when Superman rescued Batman and Robin from a mob attack, he would accidentally reveal his secret identity to Lois Lane, mm. prompting Batman and Robin to help stage an elaborate hoax in order to once more protect Superman's identity. Okay. Yep. I love that we don't trust Lois at all. Yep. In another adventure, when Clark Kent and Lois Lane were captured by criminals who used heavy artillery in their crimes, Batman and Robin were led to their hideout thanks to Superman's secret aid, and they captured the thugs. Now, I'm just going to say here, as a former military person, if criminals are using heavy artillery, what the hell are they doing? Right, and how are Batman and Robin a better opposition for them than Superman? Uh, Sometime later, Batman and Superman came up with an elaborate hoax, because this is the Silver Age, where Batman poses as a swami, 
and Great. needs Superman's assistance in order to capture a group of crooks. Now, Ashley, would you want to explain to our audience what a Swami is? Um, a Swami is usually a Middle Eastern or Indian mystical figure. Mm-hmm. Um, usually I'm, wear a turban. Yeah, and they usually um, stereotypically play uh, kind of a flute, and they're like they're presented a and snake. A, a snake comes out. Of, yeah, a snake um, floats in the air. It is. It is something that around the middle of the 20th century became a stereotypical representation of like a Hindu mystic. Yes, correct, correct. Uh, when Batman was exposed to a lethal gas by the purple mask mob that would have killed the Dark, dark Knight, uh, Superman and Robin made Batman believe that he had a broken leg to keep him out of action until the poison wore off. Great. Yeah. Uh, Batman and Superman also worked together to stop the evil Professor Pender, who used a machine to swap powers between them. Oh, that's cool. Using their respective abilities, Super Batman and Normal Superman managed to defeat Pender and return to their normal (laughs) forms. That's cool. That's actually a good idea. That would be a great cartoon today. Sure. Next, Superman summons Batman and Robin to Metropolis to try and figure out who is trying to reveal Superman's secret identity. Probably Lois. This all turns out to be a ruse to keep the dynamic duo preoccupied while Superman travels to Gotham City to capture the Veril mob. Great. Yes. Those those star characters. But this, of course, would lead to the biggest Superman and Batman team up ever. 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 Their most important storyline. The composite Superman. Ah, I was hoping you were going to bring that up. Ashley, do you know what this is? I really only know that he's half Superman, half Batman, yes. and I've seen the action figure. Well, I'm going to give you the full the full rundown on the uh, composite Superman. Great. I've not read this issue. Joseph Meech was a diver who had fallen on hard times. Okay. Just, there, there's no more stuff to dive to. Okay. And I, and I really miss diving. Well, he can just hold on and go to Mercy Reef. And being you. under the sea in an octopus's garden. In an attempt to draw publicity to himself... Meech set up a water tank on a sidewalk in Metropolis and dove off a building. Okay. Unbeknownst to Meech, the tank was leaking, and Meech would have died if not for the intervention of Superman catching him. Mm. Upon learning of Meech's misfortunes, Superman obtained a job for him at the Superman Museum where Meech was employed as a janitor. Yes, Superman has a museum. Cool. So does the Flash. Mm-hmm. Meech's bitterness actually did not subside, mm. and being surrounded by mementos of Superman's career directed his anger towards Superman. Because he wanted to blame anybody but himself. Typical. One night as Meech was sweeping in front of a series of statues depicting the Legion of Superheroes, a bolt of lightning struck the display. Okay. The statues, who were actually miniature lifeless duplicates of the Legionnaires and not just actually statues because it's the Silver Age, they unleashed an energy blast that struck Meech, endowing him with the combined powers of the said Legion members. Determined to defeat Superman, Batman, and Robin for some reason, (laughs) Meech now used his shape-shifting power to turn his skin green and form a costume that was half of Superman's costume. He does have a green face. And half of Batman's costume, calling himself the Composite Superman. Great. Meech left a message in both of the heroes' bases to meet him at a mountain. Now, why he didn't sneak attack either of these heroes if he could go inside his bases, I'll never know. He's real Razal Ghul. He's like, meet me outside somewhere. There at the mountain, he told the heroes that if he was not allowed to join their team... He would then expose their secret identities, which he had then learned via telepathy. Great. Yep. See, so he's badgering these people to join them. Neither Batman nor Superman has superpowers. 
has um te- telepathy, so I think it's weird that he is. He got the powers from the Legion. Members, I know, I know, because Legion members have shapeshifting abilities. I know, but it's weird to me that. I mean, where he, he the composite Superman's a weird day. Yeah. Now, the composite Superman then created situations for Superman and Batman to handle, which he intentionally sabotaged to humiliate the heroes. Mm. But of course, the heroes handled them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Superman and Batman attempted to expose him by using robot duplicates, but failed due to composite Superman's telepathy to read their minds, of course. Mm. And just before Meech was about to reveal the hero's secret identities, the powers he gained from the statues faded away. Oh, geez. And Meech tried to write down the secret of his powers in the Superman Museum. But his memory faded away before he could finish. I didn't realize that the composite Superman was that silly. He's very silly. Like everything, the Silver Age should just be a synonym for silly. Absolutely. Now, the Silver Age is also the age of Superman that gives us the most varieties of kryptonite. Oh, good. So I hope you're ready to buckle in, Ashley, because there's a lot of them. I'm so ready. There is green kryptonite. The normal one. What does that do, Ashley? It uh, zaps Superman's powers. It's poisonous to Kryptonians. Yep. And it can basically kill them with long-term exposure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but it basically takes away their powers. There's also red kryptonite. You know what that is? No, but I know it exists. Uh, It debuted in Adventure Comics number 252 in 1958. Um, And red kryptonite at this time weakens Superman to a greater degree than green kryptonite, but it also causes odd behavior and bizarre transformations. Um, In modern storylines, red kryptonite basically makes Superman act angry. Okay. So that's kind of where it is. Like a red lantern. There's anti-kryptonite. You know what that is? Uh, It gives Superman better powers? (laughs) Um, (laughs) I mean... Yeah, yeah. It debuted in Action Comics number 252. It's harmless to Kryptonians, but has the same effect as the green variety on normal humans. Oh, so it's like plutonium. (laughs) Yep. Anti-Kryptonite is also the power source for one version of the character of Ultraman, who is Superman's evil counterpart from the antimatter universe. Yes. There's also X-Kryptonite. I have no idea what that is. We talked about that. It's the weird uh, version of, uh, there was an unsuccessful attempt to make an antidote to green kryptonite. It's oh, harmless right. to kryptonians. Sorry. And it made Streaky the super cat. That's right. Okay, ex-kryptonite can stay. Yep. What's blue kryptonite, Ashley? Is that the one that um, depowers Bizarro? Yes, it hurt. Blue kryptonite is good for Bizarro. There you go. Yep. It's an imperfect kryptonite, which is um, affects Bizarro the in the same way. Yep. Mm-hmm. What is white kryptonite? White kryptonite turns you into a hot Green Lantern character. What? Because, like, Kyle's the White Lantern for a while. Okay. I don't know what White Completely Kryptonite is. That joke. Uh, debuted in Adventure Comics number 279, it kills all plant life from any world. Awful. What is gold kryptonite? Uh, gold kryptonite is what you get when you win the Kryptonian Olympics. Uh, good guess, but no. <laughs> uh, debuted in Adventure Comics I, I've number heard of this one. 299. Um, it permanently removes a Kryptonian's ability to process yellow sunlight. Oh, yes. bummer. Um, a lot of people have supposed that in Superman 2, at the end of the movie, this is what Superman used to get rid of Zod's powers, even though you never see it on screen. Well, that's a fun fan theory. So, I can I can get behind yep. that. What is silver kryptonite? Silver kryptonite's what you get when you come in second at the Kryptonian Olympics. Mm, good guess, but no. <laughs> uh, it debuted in Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen number 70. It was revealed by Jimmy Olsen to be a hoax, but in post-crisis in Superman Batman number 46, uh, it was modeled after the version that appeared in the Smallville TV series. Silver kryptonite causes Kryptonians to suffer from altered perceptions, loss of inhibitions, and extreme hunger crypt- uh, uh, cravings. It sounds like it makes them a uh, little stone. Yep. 
important. Uh, This kryptonite also causes Superman to hallucinate his greatest fear of it attacking General Zod during the final episode of season two, Supergirl on the CW. Mm. What is jewel kryptonite? Jewel kryptonite is what you give your Kryptonian fiance when you want her to marry you. Uh, Good guess, (laughs) Uh, but not correct. I've never heard of this Um, before. In Action Comics number 310, they are fragments of Krypton's jewel mountains. Mountain. Oh, okay. And they amplify the psychic powers of criminals imprisoned in the Phantom Zone, which is very a very specific very, use. Very specific. But there you go. There's a bunch more, but most of them are hoax versions or whatever. I mainly wanted to stick to the main colors. Cool. Uh, now, before we get out of the Silver Age, there are two stories that I want to touch upon. Okay. The first one is a guy that we've sort of already talked about, but to me, he is one of Superman's most important villains, and I think he doesn't get a fair shake, and I think he is one of Superman's... Titano? No. Uh, uh, um, Although this villain would have so much fun with Titano. Uh, This is the villain that would usually say, Me am Bizarro. I was hoping you were going to talk about Bizarro. Me am Bizarro. Me hate geek history lesson. Please request a Bizarro lesson that Jason me, must teach all in Bizarro speak. Me hate that idea of Bizarro geek history lesson. Me hate Ashley. Yeah. That's me fun. hate Ashley big time. Yeah. Me hate talking like this. <laughs> me too. <laughs> <laughs> me, you, you hate me talking like this? Yeah. Oh, good. Me Bizarro do it more. Great. No, me, you no, Bizarro do me it Bizarro less. Me Bizarro do it less. There you go. See, me Bizarro am so on track with how Bizarro talks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it would be so much fun and so irritating. Yes, it would be. Um, so um, there are two sort of bizarre origins. Okay. Okay. A scientist on Earth is demonstrating his newly invented duplicating ray to Superboy. Remember him? Oh, yeah. He's fat. Yep. And an accident causes the... Don't body shame, Superboy. I'm not body shaming him. I'm stating a fact. I have no opinion on it. And an accident causes the ray to duplicate the Superboy. The copy, quickly labeled Bizarro, is a flawed imitation as it possesses chalky white skin and childlike erratic behavior. Which is, I don't see how that's any different than Superboy. Um, <laughs> Fair. Sh- shunned, <laughs> that's shunned, really shady. Yep, shunned by the people of Smallville, Bizarro befriends a blind girl. But he, oh, yeah. But he loses all hope when he realizes that the girl did not shun him or flee him because she was blind. Yeah, that's. I actually think that's really, really mm. sad. Superboy is eventually forced to kill the less than perfect clone using the remains of the duplicating machine, which acts like blue kryptonite. Years afterward, Superman's arch foe, Lex Luthor, recreates the duplicating ray and uses it on the grown hero, hoping to control the duplicate. This bizarro that is created, however, is confused, stating, Me not human. Me not creature. Me not even animal. Me unhappy. Me don't belong in world of living people. Me don't know difference between right and wrong, good and evil. There's a taste there of uh, of what the Bizarro Geekish lesson would be would like. Be like yeah. uh, that was a direct quote from that appearance. Wow. Uh, Luther is arrested by Bizarro for recreating him because Bizarro M. Bizarro not good boy. There you go. Uh, but forgotten as Bizarro attempts to emulate Superman and creating havoc in the city of Metropolis and almost exposing Superman's secret identity as Clark Kent. 
When Bizarro falls in love with reporter Lois Lane, she used the duplicating ray on herself to create a Bizarro Lois. I didn't know that. Yep, which I think should be called B. Lois, <laughs> who is instantly attracted to Bizarro. Aww. The Bizarros leave Earth together determined to find a home where they can find themselves. And uh, there are more Bizarro tales, including a Bizarro family and a Bizarro world, but those are the two that I want to talk about. Cool. Are you cool. looking up a picture of Bizarre Lois? Yeah, now? I am. Okay. <laughs> Ashley's on her phone right now. Uh, Ashley. Oh, she's cute. She got cute hair. Yeah. She got a dress. She's very cute. She's yeah. cute. And she's also been brought back recently in uh, Superman Rebirth. I am pro Bizarre Lois. Yep. And also Boyzaro has been brought back as well, which has yeah. uh, been created by Patrick Gleason and Peter Tomasi. But Ashley, um, of course I saved the best for last. Oh, boy. We are going to talk about what I consider to be the most important Superman storyline of all time. Oh boy. And Ashley, you know me. Yeah. The listeners know me. Do you have any guesses what I consider to be the most important Superman Silver Age storyline of all time? The one that has the most far-reaching effects, has changed more lives, and has created the best covers. That's I I wanna I really hope it's the one where they make Robin and Jimmy Olsen dig their own graves. No, that's not correct. Um, but that's, that's a world's, world's finest, finest issue. issue. Yeah, it's not a. This is in Superman. I also can't tell if you're joking or not. I am serious as 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 a button. As the Dickens. As as a Bizarro would be. Um, I don't know. I honestly don't know. We're gonna talk about the most important Superman storyline of all time. Yeah. Which is called Superman Red and Superman oh! Blue. Spit. <laughs> <laughs> now, the original Superman Red and Superman Blue mm-hmm. tale is an imaginary story that first appeared in Superman 162 in July of 1963. It's actually written by Leo Dorfman. What a great name. Drawn by Kurt Swan, the legendary Superman artist. Oh, he dressed such a cute Superman. Now, in this story... Superman is compelled to finish a list of unaccomplished goals, including the enlargement of the bottle city of Kandor, which he hadn't done at this time, and eliminating crime and evil from Earth. And in order to accomplish these goals, Superman invents a machine powered by various types of kryptonite that will increase his intelligence. The machine works, increasing Superman's intelligence a hundredfold, but with the unexpected side effect of splitting Superman into twin beings, one outfitted in an all-red Superman costume and the other in an all-blue version. The twins named themselves Superman Red and Superman Blue. Very creative. Now, the twin Supermen successfully enlarge Kandor, freeing its citizens from their bottle prison. They then bring the remnants of Krypton back together, creating a planet called New Kryptonite. They eliminate all existing Kryptonite as well, and the two Supermen go on to create an anti-evil ray, which can cure criminal tendencies in anyone. They place the ray into satellite orbit around Earth, curing not only villains such as Lex Luthor and Mr. Mixel Spitlick, but communists such as Nikolai Khrushchev and Fidel Castro. What? The reformed Luther then goes on to invent a serum that cures all known diseases, which he puts in the water supplies of every country across uh, the world. What? With nearly all the world's problems solved, the two supermen have time to deal with personal matters. And the split allows them to resolve the long love triangle between Superman, Lois Lane, and Lana Lang. That's right. And Jimmy Olsen. No, not Jimmy Olsen. And Jimmy Olsen. Yeah. It's uh, more of a square. Each woman claims her own Superman, and they have a triple wedding. 
because... Oh boy, that's not troubling at all. Superman Blue marries Lana, Superman Red marries Lois, and Lucy Lane finally marries Jimmy Olsen. Okay. Superman Red decides to live on New Krypton, sacrificing his powers because he's under a red sun. Mm -hmm. And Superman Blue remains on Earth, starting a Superman family. Aww. Now, again, as you can see with that happy ending, how is that not the most important (laughs) Superman storyline of all time? That will completely pay off in about 20 years, Mm -hmm. 30 years? Uh, Now, before we leave the Silver Age, uh, there's a couple things we have to talk about. Okay. Um... Superman debuted on Broadway during the Silver Age in a musical Uh, called It's it's a a Bird, Bird, It's it's a a Plane, plane. It's Superman. It's exactly one good song in it. Yep. It's a musical comedy, and it closed after 128 performances. Go Google you some YouTube clips. Um, Hopefully, the Mind University will share some of Mm -hmm. these uh, clips. It's really funny to watch. Um, And soon, editor Mort Weisinger, who is responsible, in my opinion, for the Superman renaissance, would leave DC in 1970, and that would end the Silver Age of Superman. Aw, BB. And there you go. There is the Silver Age of Superman history of Geek History Lesson. That was good. Yeah? Was that good? Yeah, you did all kinds of crazy stuff. All right, let's go into recommended reading. Where Professor Jason is going to recommend a whole bunch of cool stuff that you can read if you are particularly taken with the Silver Age of Superman. You can find this and all of our past recommended reading at geekhistorylesson.com slash recommended reading. That's right. You go over there, you click on these books, you buy these books, you support the Mind University. Mm-hmm. First one is Batman and Superman in World's Finest, the Silver Age, Volume 1. Um, this is a lot of the early World's Finest. is a newer collection. It also collects Superman 76, which is their first meeting that nice. I told you about in the cruise oh, ship. Nice. Uh, The other thing is a couple of trades. There's Superman in the 50s. It's out of print, but you can still buy some copies on Amazon, and there's a lot of the good Silver Age storylines. And there's also Superman in the 60s, which is another trade as well. It's also out of print, but you can find it. Um, This has uh, classic storylines like Superman's Return to Krypton and a lot of good Super Baby Jimmy Olsen Lois Lane (laughs) storylines. Cool. So uh, let's go into the discussion. We're going to discuss stuff. Ashley. Yeah. What are your thoughts on the Silver Age of Superman, I have uh, I have a lot of different and complicated thoughts about the Silver Age in general because it's I don't enjoy very much of it. However, I think with a character like Superman, and I think um, you putting it out at the top of this lesson and highlighting it throughout mm-hmm. your breakdown was very interesting and illuminating for me. I think for Superman, it's maybe one of his most definitive ages. Yes. Like, I think it's so fascinating that... Um, the silliest age created yeah, the, the like Superman that we know. Mort Weisinger, that's the editor's yep, name, right? Mort Weisinger. It's kind of like the Bill Finger, as, mm-hmm. you know, as Bill Finger was the Batman. Like he, Superman. He is the facilitator of so many things that define who Superman is. And it's you're right, it is wild that it came out of a lot of silliness, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah. I guess I think it's important is what it comes down it to. It is important. It's an, it's, <laughs> a, it's an aspect of, because from this moment on, Superman is solidified. This is the Superman that we know. This is Absolutely. the Superman that we know. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is also the change. And we're going to get into that. We're going to get a little bit of that in the Geek History Lesson Extra. Ooh. All right, let's go into the teaching tweet. We're in 140 characters or less because we're old school. Professor Jason is going to summarize everything that he just taught us about Silverman in the Silver Age. And you can find this tweet at GHL Podcast. Silver Age Superman. Did you know that Superman once refused Aquaman a glass of water when he was moments away from death? True story, 
Hashtag super dick. <laughs> uh, now we're to the last section. Hashtag stick around. Hashtag stick Go around. use that on Twitter to let us know that you stick around for these episodes. Ashley, uh, I saved one Superman Silver Age story <laughs> okay. for the very end. This is the story of Superman and Lois Lane's baby wedding. Oh, no. This is a bad one. Do you know about this one? Yes. Okay, so hashtag stick around, guys. I'm saving this just for you listeners who stick around to the very end of the podcast Mm. and support us, uh, you know, pimping all our stuff that we pimp. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, This is in 1963 in Superman's girlfriend, Lois Lane, number 42. A horrible accident changes Lois's personality so much that she blackmails Superman into marrying her. Uh, Superman, who is like never going to be hoodwinked into marrying Lois Lane, of course, he disguises not during the Silver yep, Age. <laughs> he disguises an alien age reversal potion as perfume and allows his crazed bride to spritz herself. Now, this plan works, but the fun fact is is that Lois accidentally sprays the substance on the Man of Steel, too. Mm -hmm. So the potion de-ages the duo even further, to the point that baby Lois and baby Superman have diapers on, and they're actually wheeled into a chapel for an insane infant wedding. But because Lois can't say anything but goo-goo when asked, do you take this man, the wedding is called off and the de-aging potion wears off. That's the Silver Age, folks. Yeah, it's worth Googling just for the pictures. The pictures are hilarious. I've seen the panel of Lois going, goo-goo, yeah, do yeah. you take this man? Goo-goo. Awful. Yep, it is awful. <laughs> and that is it for this Geek History lesson on Superman, the Silver Age. When was Superman the Bronze Age come? I don't know. Request it online. There you I'm go. Jason, uh, Superman Red, Superman Blue in the- I'm Ashley Victoria Robinson. And Professor Jason, will you please dismiss the class? Geek History lesson is never dismissed. Up in the sky, it's a bird, it's a plane. No, it's Superman in the Bronze Age. Your geek history lesson on Superman in the Bronze Age is now in session. Hello and welcome to Geek History Lesson. I am Jason, sometimes Bronze Inman. I am Ashley Victoria Robinson. Welcome to your mind university because you have stumbled onto the podcast where we take one character, construct, or piece of publishing history from popular culture and teach you everything you need to know about them in about an hour and... This is part of a twofold iconic series in that with some of the very big DC Comics characters who've been around for almost a, a century now, it's going to say a millennium, uh, we are breaking them up by publishing era. So this is the ongoing uh, Superman series, and this is also our first character to enter the Bronze Age. Yes, and we'll, we'll get more into that in just a second. Uh, we are talking about Superman today because Superman is hitting the small screen, uh, with Superman and Lois on the CW, and that is why we are doing another installment of Superman's history, because like Ashley said, it is so big, you cannot fit this into one episode. And there's so many stories that you don't want to gloss over and so many things. So to explain what we mean by Superman, the Bronze Age, let me explain the ages to you. Now, none of these are super official, It's what a bunch of comic nerds like myself and like you have decided. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of arguments on either way about the years or whatever. This is just what we've decided to do. You know, it's our podcast. Exactly. Just go with it. All right. The Golden Age is from 1938 to 1956. Most people agree that it begins with Action Comics number one and it ends 
with the first appearance of Barry Allen in Showcase Number 4, October 1956. The Silver Age, of course, begins with that appearance of Barry Allen as the new Flash, and it goes until 1970. Basically, the Silver Age was restricted storytelling with often silly stories, but we start to get hints of more depth. Uh, You know, basically... Barry Allen. Also, some people say the start of the Silver Age is the introduction of the Comics Code Authority. Mm -hmm. Uh, You you want to explain what that is, just in case anybody doesn't know? The Comics Code Authority was uh, kind of like the, there's a motion picture version of it. Can't think of what it stands for. Um, The MPAA. Thank you. I don't know what the acronym stands for. Motion picture something something. I think it's the Arts Association. Association. uh, Where basically a governing body decided that comics were too gay because of Batman and Robin. And so they set down a bunch of rules to make it less. Less gay, less offensive, more family friendly. And what was interesting about this is the restriction forced a lot of creativity into the medium. They don't exist anymore. Yes. Now, this the next age is the Bronze Age, which is from 1970 to uh, 1985. And that is the one we're covering today. The precipitating event is many things is Jack Kirby leaving Marvel for Mm -hmm. DC or Gwen Stacy killed in Spider-Man 121. Mm, Could be either. Interesting. The next age after that, so when we go to the next Superman, it'll be Superman, the Dark Age. The next one is the Dark Age, and it's from 1985 to the year 2000. Comics get darker, they get grittier, they get morally ambiguous, and sometimes they stray into terrible, bad juvenileism while pretending to be mature comics. Many people think that that starts with either Christ of Infinite Earths, The Dark Knight Returns, slash Watchmen, depending on what you want yeah, to go for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, the modern age is from 2000 to now. And it's basically also being called the Electrum Age or the Digital Age, depending on the rise of digital comics. It's called the Reboot Age. But basically, they're saying that it starts at 2000 because that is post the Marvel bankruptcy, also Mm. post the effects of the popping of the speculator bubble. But most people attribute the beginning of the modern age in 2000 because there's a little old movie called X-Men, mm-hmm. the popularity of superhero movies affecting comic books. Oh, so, interesting. Yes. So that are those are all the ages. We are talking about the Bronze Age today, 1970 to 1985. Cool little uh, 15 years there. Now, just to let you know, we have covered Superman twice. Episode 108 is Superman the Golden Age. Mm-hmm. Episode 207 is Superman in the Silver Age. And so it's been a while. So about every hundred episodes, we get to a Superman one, and we are behind on Batman and Wonder Woman. We are behind on Batman. <laughs> These episodes take quite the a bit. most. They take a lot of time. So, yeah, that's the reason why. But now it's time for us to drop into Superman the Bronze Age. Before we get to that, if you need more geek history lesson content, if you think that this conversation, this episode, is not enough Superman conversation, then head on over to patreon.com. Slash Jawin, J-A-W-I-I-N, and get yourself three more exclusive Geek History Lesson type podcasts over there for your your, your loving, your listening pleasure. Geek History Lesson Extra is where we talk more about the subject. There's Jason and Ashley's Excellent Adventures where we get personal about our lives. And also, there's a Justice League podcast that's in the pike very soon. Or if you're listening to this in the far, far future, it's already out and you're loving it. You're loving yeah. it. So head over to patreon.com slash John become a super friend. And thanks to all the patrons that help keep this podcast going. Thank you. Now, before we get to the Bronze Age, Ashley, we have to talk about the Silver Age. We've mm. got to give you a little recap. In the Silver Age, Superman got his super pets. Yep. Name one of them. Streaky. Who's Streaky? 
She's super girl scout. Yeah. <laughs> Name Superman's dog. Crypto. We're going to talk about him more. We learned about, in the Silver Age, we learned about all the different forms of kryptonite. Su- oh, yeah. Superman became red and blue for the very first time. Mm-hmm. But now it's time for change. This is a time for Superman to become a little bit more like the modern Superman that we know. Interesting. Now let's talk about some publication history for the Bronze Age. Mort Weisinger was the editor on Superman comic books from 1941 to 1970. Mort Weisinger was the editor throughout most of the Golden Age and most of the Silver Age. Mm -hmm. He wanted to make sure that Superman was always kind of wacky because that way Superman would be considered kid-friendly. Mort Weisinger retired in 1970 and Julius Schwartz took over. Now, in a later interview, Mort Weisinger admitted that he had grown out of touch with newer readers. Julius Schwartz basically wanted to take away all the additional elements of the Superman mythos, saying that this was watering down Superman. So he didn't want the super pets. He didn't want all the alternate Kryptonians. He didn't want all the wackies. He just wanted to tell stories about Superman. And somewhere... The cells that would become little Jason said, yes, yes, do any Kryptonians, yes. Now, Mr. Schwartz's first act was to get writers like Denny O'Neill, mm-hmm. Elliot S. Magan, one of the most important Superman writers of all time, and Carrie Bates to tone down the weirdness and to bring in new stories and themes. They wanted to remove overused plot elements such as kryptonite, robot doppelgangers, and eventually they would change Clark Kent's job. We will get to that. Okay. Uh, Schwartz also scaled down Superman's powers closer to the level that was intended by Siegel and Schuster, the original Superman creators, because they did not want a Superman that could punch a planet out of orbit. Mm-hmm. So, the Bronze Age of Superman, we're going to talk about the fictional publication history now, or excuse me, the fictional history of the character. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It all started with the buyout. Of the Daily Planet. What? Yes. Now, Galaxy Broadcasting System did a corporate buyout of the Daily Planet immediately in the Bronze Age, reshuffling the traditional roles of the planets, uh, reshuffling all the planets' traditional roles by their new owner, a man called Morgan Edge. Mm. Now, Morgan Edge is the president of the GBS, the Global Galaxy Broadcasting System, of course, and he's secretly the leader of Intergang. And he became the president uh, and the controlling factor of the Daily Planet by buying a lot of Daily Planet stock. Now, Ashley, can you explain what Intergang is? And do, you, and do you know the big secret of Intergang? Um, Intergang is like an alien crime syndicate? Not, you're not cool. You're kind of there. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best I got. Uh, and I'm going to say that their secret is that they uh, worship all of Superman's super pets and they're really upset uh, at the editor for benching them. <laughs> Intergang is something that I have uh, heard reference and I know I've <laughs> spoken about in lessons before. I've, I don't think I've ever read a story with Intergang. In Intergang it. is basically like think about the mob in Metropolis, except they're sort of futuristic because mm-hmm. they use all types of alien weapons. They are humans. Okay, so I wasn't completely wrong. They are based in Metropolis, but mm-hmm. they are being funded by aliens. And the that's big, right. Yeah. The big secret is is that they're being funded by Darkseid. Mm-hmm. Yes, Darkseid is secretly using them to. Mess with Superman. Yes, because they do. They are. They're involved in all the fourth world stuff. Yes. 
Yes, yes, yes. Um, I'm gonna count. I'm gonna give myself half a point for that. Like I said, you were close. <laughs> I just had I just had the words in the you wrong were order. Almost there. <laughs> yeah. Um. So there we go. Okay. But before we get to that and all the intricateness and Clark Kent's new job, pretty sure I know what his new job. You probably know. We have talked about it before. Yeah. There's a change to Kryptonite. Okay. In a story called Kryptonite Nevermore. Is it the pink Kryptonite that makes you gay? No. Actually, That's a fun one. Besides your thoughts on pink kryptonite. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I want to ask you, I don't know if we've talked about this on any of the podcasts. And in 300 episodes, it's getting hard to remember. Uh-huh. We're closing out on 350. Um, this might be episode 350. I, I have no idea. this is three. We're recording this ahead of time. Who knows what the number is? Yeah. Anyways, time? back to kryptonite, the more important number or element. Ashley, mm. I don't know your thoughts on kryptonite. What do you feel about kryptonite? Goofy, silly? Do you like it? Is it a necessary part of Superman? I'm giving you a lot of elements. I, I honestly don't know what you think about kryptonite. I Are you concerned that it's in our modern world no. and it could ruin our lives? That keeps me up at night. Does it? Of course. I know you own a chunk of it. I do. You own several chunks of kryptonite. You own a plastic one and a soap one. I do. And That's why it keeps me up at night. Uh, <laughs> um, I think for a contemporary audience. Yes. I think we're past it. So you would get rid of kryptonite altogether. I would. Yep. Um because every time it shows up, my eyes roll right out of my skull. Uh including in BVS. Mm-hmm. I was like, friggin' really? Wait, wait, wait. What's B- what's this BVS? Okay. Uh, about? Batman versus Superman. Thank you. Colon, Colon. Dawn of Justice. Thank you. Um which is a movie that I enjoy. Sure. Um, I enjoy and, and I think it is silly. I think it is a mark of when it was created. Yes. Um, of all the Superman things that are silly, it's probably the one that I like the least. Like, I don't have issues with the glasses as the identity hider. Mm-hmm. The way I, I, I just think kryptonite is dumb. Okay. Um, that's a fair, that's a fair viewpoint. But also I do understand that when you work with a character with this type of legacy, you do your best with the traditions and it is a part of Superman's tradition. But yes. yeah, I think it's silly. How about you? I like it. But like the Joker, I think it's overused. Uh, correct. And that is why I'm particularly a, by Lex. Yep. And that is why I'm a big fan of this Kryptonite Nevermore storyline by Denny O'Neill. All right, tell me about it. So here's the storyline of Kryptonite Nevermore. And you know the storyline of Kryptonite Nevermore. And I would say most of our listeners know this story because the cover is Superman wrapped in green chains. Oh, I love that and cover. He's breaking them with this yeah, chest. Yeah, they made a statue out of it. They made several statues they made out of it. Posters of it. It's it's a very famous and iconic image. And actually I would share it. On I the, will. the GHL socials uh, so everyone gets to see it. It's a very, very famous cover for Kryptonite Nevermore. Now, in Kryptonite Nevermore, Superman helps out with an experiment involving green kryptonite as a new and alternative power source. Ooh. Of course, because this is comics, the experiment goes haywire and the energy harnessing machine explodes. Now, Superman tries to stop this tries to contain the explosion, but he fails and is knocked out by the full blast of the explosion that is filled with green kryptonite. But strangely, the explosion also causes all forms of kryptonite on Earth to transform into harmless iron, which is in turn interpreted by Superman as now he's like, oh, I'm basically invulnerable now. Mm -hmm. So now kryptonite is gone. No longer in the Superman mythos. We will never see it For again. For like a week. <laughs> we'll never see it again. This is permanent. Um, I'm so happy. What a relief. Applause by all the comic book <laughs> fans across the world. Kryptonite's gone, everybody. We don't have to worry about it anymore. 
Now let's talk about Clark Kent's new job. Okay. Clark Kent is hired by Morgan Edge to be a television reporter yeah, he for is. WGBS. And his first assignment is to cover an experimental mailing rocket that will travel from Metropolis to Los Angeles. When Clark spots some criminals who want the rocket for their own purposes, he goes into action as Superman. However, he begins to notice that his heat vision doesn't work right. It's all weird. As well as he's not as strong as he used to be. And when he returns to Metropolis, fulfilling his job reporting about the rocket launch, a figure resembling Superman, but Superman made up of sand, emerges from where he had been laid down on the ground following the kryptonite energy machine. Now, remember, I told you about the kryptonite energy machine mm-hmm. that caused all kryptonite across the world mm-hmm. to turn iron. From that very spot that Superman hit the ground after the explosion, a Superman made of dirt and particulates and sand rose up out of the ground. This, Ashley, is a new character called... Swamp Thing. Nope. Alan Moore. Nope. Sand Superman. Oh, boy. They do love to take Superman's powers away. We love to have alternate Supermans. Now, Ashley, have you heard of this figure? Not never, not once. Well, this is an entity consisting of psychic energy from uh, the world that we all know, Quorum, soil, <laughs> soil from Earth, and power siphoned from Superman. This follows the trend of having a Superman analog, mm-hmm. which we have mm-hmm. lots of, the Superman robots, Bizarro, Composite Superman. Yeah, it's an easy way to have somebody with Superman's proportional strength. But this is also the story element that depowers him. Mm-hmm. This is where his energy drains. So now he's not as he's not punch a planet out of orbit Superman anymore. Because, oh, smart. Because the, the portion of his powers are now in this creature called Sand Superman. Now, Sand Superman will bewitch and hurt Superman for about the next year or so. But we're going to talk a little bit more about him. We're not going to talk about every story with him. But, mm-hmm. but, but I just wanted to set up that he's out there now until I tell you that he's gone. <laughs> okay. Yep. So. Great. Uh, and if anybody wants to send in uh, fan work, fan artwork of Sand Superman, please go ahead. Make us a sand sculpture. I want an action figure of Sand Superman. I'm just going to tell you that. All so. right, McFarlane, get on it. Then Superman met the Forever People. Ooh. A Jack Kirby creation. Now, Ashley, um, since you were about half close on Intergain, let's see if you can get half close on the Forever People. Who, uh, are, who are the Forever People? The Forever People was this like 2012 CW show that I think went for two seasons and had some uh, tie-in digital comics. It's true, actually. Uh, That's just not the ones you're... T- I don't know. Is that really a CW show? Yes. Wow. And it's not tied to this. Wow, that's so weird. Which is what's crazy. I don't know anything about them. <laughs> the Forever People. People who've lived forever. People from tomorrow. Now, I have to back up a little bit to tell you about the Forever People. Okay. The patriarch of the planet, New Genesis, Isaiah, engaged in a social experiment wherein he selected five random individuals from different points in Earth's history and brought them to New Genesis. These five children were named Beautiful, Dreamer, Moonrider, Big Bear, not the mountain, Seraphin, and Vican. Dreamer, the character that eventually got put on Supergirl? Um, I'm not certain. That's fine. And grew up as close friends and eventually began to refer to themselves as the Forever People. Now, this also might be a good place to explain Jack Kirby's The New Gods, just in case anybody doesn't know. The New Gods are natives of the twin planets of New Genesis and Apocalypse. New Genesis is an idyllic planet filled with unspoiled forests and rivers and beauties and ruled by the benevolent High Father, 
basically thinks Zeus with a big old beard and a yeah. staff. While Apocalypse, and that's A-P-O-K-O-L-I-P-S, so Apocalypse, is a nightmarish, polluted, and ruined world with machinery, fire pits, and is ruled by Darkseid. Think Thanos, but cooler. Now, the two planets were once part of the same world. They were actually a planet called Urgerd, Urgrund, excuse me, which is German for primeval ground, but it was eventually split apart a millennial ago after the death of the old gods during Ragnarok. These characters are often called the new gods, and they were collectively referred to as Jack Kirby's fourth world. They're great. By the way, beautiful dreamer and dreamer, not the same character. I'm an idiot. Yes. So Superman, while searching out for the forever people to investigate their claims of coming from a super town, <laughs> was motivated by a longing to be among people that knew what it was like to be super. Mm. Now, again, you can already hear the Denny O'Neill sort of deeper characters. Like, yes. This is a Superman that's worried about his heart. This is not a Superman that is worried about his bronze and his brains. And can I trick Lois Lane into thinking I'm not Clark Kent? Yeah, he's worried about his legacy and his place in the world. Exactly. He's kind of lonely. Mm-hmm. So Superman got more than he bargained for when he learned of the existence of Dark side and dark side's ambitions for the anti life equation on Earth. Dark seed. Now, Superman and this other character named the Infinity Man fought side by side against dark side's gravity guards and liberated beautiful dreamer, one of the forever mm-hmm. people, from dark side's clutches. Out of gratitude for Superman's help, the forever people opened a boom tube showing him new Genesis so that Superman could see this super town that they were from mm. for himself. The man is still declined to visit knowing that as long as monsters like Darkseid existed, his first responsibility would be to protect Earth. Oh, what a sweet boy. It's a very nice story, right? Yeah, it is. Then we get a super pal team up. Oh, boy. Clark Kent and Jimmy Olsen got together, and they decided to confront their new boss, Morgan Edge, about suspicious details of his activities when he was found to have implied ties to Intergang. Mm, I remember them. Mm-hmm. And in retaliation against their inquiries, Morgan Edge sent them to investigate a craft from Apocalypse, which had landed in Metropolis Park, kind of the central park of Metropolis. Yeah. Now, Edge had arranged for the craft to trap Clark and Jimmy and send them to Apocalypse to be killed. Now, honestly, I think there are way easier ways to kill Jimmy Olsen. But <laughs> Particularly Mor- Jimmy Olsen. But Morgan Edge has his plans, and only Clark actually fell victim to the snare. Jimmy was able to escape because Jimmy is super cool. Now, Edge sent Bruno Mannheim, the gangster, oh, yeah, who actually yeah. is in charge Fourth of Intergang, gangster, yeah. to finish off Jimmy, but the Guardian, who is a yellow and blue sort of clone who is also a member of mm-hmm. Jack Kirby's fourth world rescued Jimmy Olsen in the apocalyptic craft. Clark caught his first glimpse of the first of the twin worlds, new Genesis and apocalypse. But fortunately light Ray, another uh, uh, good new God yep. intercepted the craft and sent Clark back to metropolis with a boom tube. But this was not the end of the apocalypse cold war with the dark side. And as you can see, if you are a fan of Superman the Animated Series, mm-hmm. that Bruce Tim got a lot of inspiration from this storyline, from the Bronze Age. Because the Bronze Age is the introduction of the Fourth World, and the Bronze Age is the introduction of Superman's antagonist being Darkseid. Mm-hmm. Now, the man whom the Daily Planet staff knew as Morgan Edge was revealed 
to actually be a program clone of the real Morgan Edge. And he was supposed to put the resources of the Galaxy Broadcasting Corporate Empire at the disposal, or excuse me, and at the whim of Darkseid Quest for the Anti-Life Equation. Now, after being created and officially implanted with the copied mem- memories of the real Edge, the clone was commanded by Darkseid to execute the original Morgan Edge. But the clone couldn't go through to it because he had a conscience. Now, the Edge clone instead had a secret soundproof room built into his penthouse suite to contain and to trap the real Morgan Edge that was actually hidden behind a large one-way mirror. And the real Morgan Edge escaped from its one-way mirror from his captivity, uh, and the clone began executing multiple creative schemes intended to basically capture the real Morgan Edge. As this clone knew that Darkseid would kill him dead if he found out that the real Morgan Edge had escaped. All of these schemes uh, failed because of Superman's interference and eventually the real Morgan Edge took refuge at a communal farm until he was safe for him to return as being the head in the charge of the GBS. But the death of the evil clone Morgan Edge and his replacement as the owner of the Daily Planet by the real Edge marked a significant hiccup in the unfolding of Darkseid's plans for Earth as much of the interests of Apocalypse and Metropolis were actually being led by Morgan Edge, as Morgan Edge was revealed to be the real leader of Intergang, not Bruno Mannheim. One, it's very funny to think that Morgan Edge went to live on a commune. Mm-hmm. And two, I understand now why you brought up Jack Kirby leaving to go to D.C. Because uh, we're talking an awful lot about Kirby crazy fourth world We stuff. are. We are. We are. I mean, I knew... Darkseid was a huge, like, he's in, I would I would count him among Superman's rogues gallery. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that they tied together so quickly. Most, like, right out the gate. Yes, most of the 70s, Darkseid is kind of the real villain of Superman. Mm-hmm. And he, I think it's because he was the new big bad. And a literal big bad. Yep. Like, he looks badass fighting Superman. Yes. And also, I think the interesting and smart things about this is that he's fighting Superman on two levels. Because not only is Superman fighting the parademons with his fists, but Clark Kent is having to fight all the machinations of Morgan Edge in real-world Metropolis. Yes, exactly. And even within the confines of his job and his day-to-day mm-hmm. life. It's mm-hmm. very smart. Now, I want to tell you a story... About the fourth world? No, about a 100,000-year-old Superman. Okay, is he living in the sun? Nope. The Time Trapper, a Legion of Superhero villain, covertly induces Superman to use a defective time bubble, a time-traveling device of the Legion of Superheroes, to journey to the year 101,970 AD. And and places a time barrier behind him, which prevents Superman from flying back or doing any of his time travel Mm -hmm. tricks to return to his proper era. Now, Superman ages because of the defunct time bubble. Mm -hmm. And so he becomes 100,000 years old. And although he is still powerful enough to defeat an enemy menace in that era, and he goes further into the future where he sees three superheroes at that time that immunizing him to kryptonite, magic, and red suns. Now, Superman, this is a very interesting journey. And the reason why I'm talking about this is because Superman decides to travel even further 
into the future in which superpowers are outlawed due to a disaster involving three superheroes of the past. Those three superheroes that I talked about. Mm -hmm. And he gets to learn what happens in a world without Superman to the other supporting characters. He learns that Lois Lane marries a very famous actor. He learns that Jimmy writes a book called My Years with Superman. Mm. He learns that Perry White creates the Superman Museum. Mm. And I wanted to ask you, as the big three of Superman supporting cast, do you, do those track with what you know about those characters? Would those be fitting ends? I think the Perry White one is kind of the most out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually think the lowest one's the most out there. But I think they're all correct. Who's the actor? I want it. Uh, he's a fake made up. Yeah, I, I mean, of course, he's a, he's a mm-hmm. fake DC Universe actor. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, you're just like, ooh, I wonder who that would be. Um, I could see Lois getting married. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't have an issue with the fact that she gets married. I don't know if she would marry, um, which is not to say that um, a, a movie star or an actor is not a person of substance. But I would expect Lois Lane to marry like a real smarty pants. And maybe he is. But yeah. Uh, no, I don't think any of those are super out there. I do like the idea that um, of Jimmy's memoir, and I do believe that Jimmy would write that memoir even after Superman, even if Superman didn't leave at an untimely point in their history. I agree. Now, during the storyline, story Superman keeps going further and further into the future. He um, rescues some astronauts in the year 801,000 AD. He goes to the year 1 million and terraforms and repopulates a barren Earth. He survives the attack of a drone weapon powered by the dead intellect of Lex Luthor. And then he is helplessly thrown through the time barrier even further into the future by a comet. And Superman eventually thinks, I'm just going to keep going until the universe ends because I can't go back in the past. However, when he reaches the end of time and he notices all the universe go to black, Superman himself can't stay conscious and he blacks out. When he wakes up, he loosely sees his birth, his childhood, his boyhood, his adulthood, until he returns to the point which he first took the time trip, after which... The timelines diverge, he's dumped back into regular time, and he's free to live out his normal life again. And he figures out that the reason this must happen is because time curves on itself, and he figures that he has received a second chance, and he's never going to give that up again. Dan, they must have been reading a lot of Barry Allen Flash comics when they came up with this. (laughs) It's a very sweet and yet sad story. Yeah, it almost sounds like an Elseworlds in a lot of ways. I can see that. But enough of that time travel nonsense. It's time to check in with... Crypto the super dog. Ashley. Hell yeah. Who's that and why do we like him? Uh, Crypto is a uh, yellow lab who apparently lived on Krypton and got. He's not a yellow lab. Yeah, he is. He's a white dog. I mean, if he were a real dog, he'd be a yellow lab. He's a yellow lab. lab. What's the real crypto? The one that they're using in Titans. Do you know? A yellow lab. Is he really? Yeah. I think he's a mutt, actually, because he's smaller than a lab. But crypto to me always looks like a lab that they just haven't colored in. Listeners, this goes to show my knowledge of dogs. I didn't realize that like a white skinned dog or white furred dog could still be a yellow lab. Oh, yeah. Especially female labs tend to be lighter. Yeah. Um, So crypto is actually probably a girl. I just learned something. There you go. Uh, Crypto is a crypto is a Kryptonian dog (laughs) of indeterminate species uh, who was sent to Earth to be a companion to baby Superman. And uh, he wears a cape, and he's a super dog. He's the goodest boy. Yes, he is the goodest boy. He's the superest boy. Yeah. Now, after the 1971 revamp of Superman by editor Julius Schwartz, remember? Mm-hmm. Crypto basically made no appearances for several years. No, sweet baby. He's the only 
Uh, Crypto and Streaky are the only super pets that I think Mm -hmm. we should have. It was explained away in Superman continuity that Crypto was missing and that Superman couldn't find him. Hence the reason for none of his appearances. You got like lost in a well or something? Until Action Comics number 441, the storyline called The Mystery of the Wandering Dog. 441? I'm going to share this cover, whatever it is. Now, at the time, actually, you just have to know that Action Comics had two storylines and i believe this is the backup storyline so okay. the cover i don't think well, we'll then, refer to well then well then i will find a i'll find a panel from yeah. this to share now in the storyline green arrow and black canary mm. try to unveil the mystery of the illusion projector created by professor steelgraves both are aged by a ray in steelgraves hideout but they are saved when crypto the superdog breaks in and destroys <laughs> the machine which allows green arrow to capture the villain sure when steelgraves calls crypto that blasted superdog green arrow and black canary realize that the dog is actually crypto mm. who they knew was yeah. missing but this crypto is amnesiac so he doesn't remember that mm-hmm. he's a super dog. And he actually runs off. And all Green Arrow can do is call up Clark Kent and tell him that, hey, I saw your dog. He's on the loose. Where is he? I don't know. This is pre-cell phones. I don't know where anyone is right now. Damn it, Ollie. <laughs> uh, but eventually Crypto's... Fat cats, fat cats, fat cats. Eventually Crypto's memory was restored in 1975. Superman number 287. Oh, thank goodness. Asked in a 2006 interview why he liberated Crypto from the limbo kennel. Writer, writer Elliot S. Magan said, and I quote, a man needs a dog. A Superman needs a super dog. Because he's the goodest boy. <laughs> I think that's a great quote. Elliot S. Magan again, one of the greatest Superman writers of all time. That's very sweet. I like that a lot. Uh, now, Ashley, we're going to talk about something that I think many comic book fans don't know about. Very important event in Superman's life. Because Superman is at the center of the events in the phenomenon known as the miracle of Thirsty Thursday. Whoa. Ashley. Yeah. What do you think Thursday, Thirsty Thursday is? I, I want it to be the Justice League performing in a Magic Mike style show at a local bar wherein you get you are thirsty, uh, but you can also acquire a cheap drink. But I just know that's not it. It is not. Especially but, in the Bronze Age. Well, let's find out. And listeners, I picked I picked this story because I'd forgotten about this story. And then when I heard the title, and again, Thirsty has many different connotations. It does. Uh, tell your children. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thirsty Thursday is a subject of... Devoted study by Chronicles of the Future, centuries and millennia ahead of us, as one of the truly scientific, inexplicable occurrences in the history of mankind. On Wednesday, August 20th, it was the date of an infamous tenement blaze, and all of the people of Metropolis spontaneously developed a pathological disgust of water. And they fell asleep for a 24-hour period, then awakened on the following day with an incredible thirst upon them. Hence, the nomenclature of Thirsty Thursday. Okay. Now, dozens of time travelers from these distant future time periods came to Metropolis to watch this epic thirsty event. To see it and to divine the true nature of what exactly had happened. Yet, when they came... To these eras, mm. they left not knowing the answer. Mm-hmm. And this is why. 
Okay. The truth of the so-called miracle of Thirsty Thursday was the spell of citywide hydrophobia was caused by Star Lab scientist Dr. Larry Ishmael, who dropped the bile containing a serum being developed clandestinely by Star Labs for exactly that purpose. When he dropped it, trace particles of the volatile vapors spread out and affected everyone in Metropolis. Now, Dr. Ishmael consumed what he mistakenly took to be an antidote, but was in fact a psychoactive drug that temporarily turned Ishmael into a superhumanly strong wild man and sent him on a wild man rampage across Metropolis. Do you think they'll adapt this in the CW Superman and Lois episode? I hope this is Man of Steel 2, and we're not even done yet. Uh, <laughs> Overhearing Star Labs director Dr. Wilson Farr discussing that only 24 hours of constant rest or perpetual physical stimulation could negate the perpetual eff- physical stimulation. Oh boy. Thirsty Thursday, everybody. Yeah, really? You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> because of that, those are the only things that could affect could negate the effects of the hydrophobia serum. Superman placed and detonated tens of sleeping gas canisters throughout the municipal sewer system, putting all residents of Metropolis at the same time, including the covert time travelers who came back to watch Mm. this event in a day-long sleep spell. What a dream. Only Ishmael was immune to the gas due to his Mm -hmm. crazy wild man psychology and therefore fought Superman for 24 hours straight before his condition could return to normal. Okay, that's kind of cool. When all was said and done, Superman allowed only two other individuals to become privy to the knowledge of what had truly happened on Thursday, Thursday. Oh, can I guess? Well, no, it's it's the two scientists. It's Larry Ishmael and Wilson Farr. Oh, damn. Who are you? I mean... I was going to be like, I don't know, Jimmy and Lois. I was, I, no, honestly, no, no. I was going to make a joke, but... No. Uh, no, Jimmy and Lois were too thirsty on the Thursday. They now, were they were engaging in perpetual physical simulation. Uh, we can only hope. Now, none of the three men revealed the secret to another soul for as long as they lived, which created the legend throughout time as the mystery of Thirsty Thursday. I guess they didn't live that long because them folks could still be alive, and I've never heard of it. And like I said, I think we all know what we're all thinking. I think that's the season finale of season one of Superman and Lois. Hell yeah. Uh, you know what? Also, with the Star Labs, I'm just saying, uh, Mark Guggenheim were very employable. Um, it, it, could, <laughs> it could tie into Flash super easy. It could. So, there you go. Now, we're going to talk a little bit more about WGBS. Oh, I was like, WG Fields? WGBS here, <laughs> reporting the traffic over Metropolis uh, on the um, Swan Bridge. It's pretty packed, but Swan, uh, uh, Superman oh, is uh, flying over a car from the Seagull Pier. And, <laughs> to uh, the Schuster Airport? And it's going to be cleared up pretty soon. There you All go. right. Um, three of WGBS's... TV newscasters accepted employment at their rivals, the UBC, the United Broadcasting Company. Oh, it was like the University of British Columbia? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And this led Morgan Edge Mm -hmm. to promote Clark to not only he's on the air, but now he's the associate producer of all GBS's news programming. With the objective of fishing for new journalistic talent in the proverbial ocean and ascertaining the fidelity of all WGBS's on-air personalities to the company. So now mm. this is Clark Kent as a producer is getting further and further away he's from an associate producer, though. being a it's not writer. Even an EP? Yep. Gonna need a title bump. And this is we're gonna talk about a little bit of this because this this new promotion factors into what I think is one of the greatest Superman stories of all time. It happened in Superman issues number 296 to 299. It's a storyline called Who Took the Super Out of Superman? Mm. Now, Superman in the storyline met his greatest challenge. It was not an external force, but a 
identity crisis. As the last son of Krypton was forced to figure out who is the real self, Clark Kent or Superman? The eternal question. Yes. Now, Clark lost his powers and was knocked unconscious again (laughs) and was knocked unconscious upon collision with a speeding car in the Metropolis streets. When he awoke in the hospital, Clark switched to his hidden Superman costume to leave the building without having to answer any questions about his not having injuries or whatever. Mm -hmm. Clark returned to his apartment and on the way home, he got attacked by a killer robot that was sent after him by Intergang. Now, deducing... That he still possessed his powers as Superman, but would suddenly lose them as Clark for some reason, and hypothesizing that the phenomenon might do be due to a cognitive dissonance, excuse me, dissonance from juggling the demands of a double life, Clark decided to spend one full week in his civilian identity without his powers. Now, I know that's a little confusing here. I want to basically say after this accident, if he's Clark Kent, he doesn't have powers. Mm-hmm. If he's Superman, he, got he powers. has powers. Okay. So Clark was like, I'm going to live a life as unpowered Clark Kent. So he spent the entire week as Clark Kent. Mm-hmm. So without the need to act as the timid persona of Clark Kent, the defect suspicions as a Superman identity, because Superman would not be seen for the next seven days. Yep. Clark found himself acting more assertive and confident in all of his relationships and it improved Many of his relationships with his GBS co-workers, including Morgan Edge and Steve Lombard. And it actually ended up turning on Lois Lane. She likes a confident man. Yep. For his part, Clark fully embraced Lois's advances. He's like, finally. And for the first time. He embraces Jimmy. In Superman history, it is openly hinted that Clark Kent and Lois Lane spent several passionate nights together Woo, we ship it inside clark kent's apartment uh do you know the street address of clark kent's first apartment it's very it's kind of very famous you may not you may not 1-800 good guy lane i don't, <laughs> I don't know <laughs> no uh it is 344 clinton street i i didn't know that oh, no. well everyone out there um if classically this is the address of clark kent's apartment so if you're ever in a trivia game they ask you what is the apartment of clark kent's address or Clark, what's the address of Clark Kent's apartment? I guarantee you this is the answer. 344 Clinton Street. 1-800-GOOD-GUY LANE. Yep. What's Dr. Strange's? Something Bleecker Street? 1700? Who knows? It's like, it's 122B, I think. Bleecker Street. Well, 221B is Sherlock's. I think it's 122B. Eh, whatever. This is not the Dr. Doesn't Strange matter. episode. This is not the Dr. Strange Who cares? Um, so, even without his powers, Clark, with the power of his producing... <laughs> Resolve. Every producer's like nodding their heads with yes. their iPhones right now. <laughs> I know the one thing to stop the gang. The powers of the video edit. <laughs> I mean, let's not knock video editors. Yes. Hi, Adam. I was a video editor. That's true. Yes. Uh, so Clark learned the location of the syndicate's rolling office from an underworld stoolie, and he incapacitated the leadership with an anti-gravity device borrowed from Professor per- Pepperwinkle, which is a Superman character at the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Clark Kent was effective at helping to take out Intergang. Now, once the seven days of being Clark Kent had passed, he committed to only being Superman for the next seven days. So, at the time, Superman cleared Intergang hoods off the street mm-hmm. with the greater efficiency because he was working 24 hours a day. Because, But because Clark Kent was nowhere to be found, the DA's case against Intergang's leader, Max Denver, 
was missing its star witness, mm. Lois began to speculate that Intergang had kidnapped Clark Kent. <laughs> <laughs> and Superman fought and bested an upstart supervillain named Solar Man. But the pressure of serving as a 24-hour-7 superhero proved to be too exhausting to endure. And it turned out even a Superman has the same psychological needs as any other man. And a secret identity was needed to anchor the ordinary life that provided him with stability. And at the end of the week, Superman concluded that both parts of him were Clark Kent and Superman. And they represented equally valid and valuable parts and no one was more the true self than the other. That's very interesting that both of them are valid because I definitely think that I have an opinion about which is the real man. And I know you do too. Well, we'll get to it in just a second. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about this in a second. Uh, but I want to talk about this little fun storyline because Superman had hardly any time to contemplate the significance of these events because he caught an image of nine of his deadliest enemies. Lex Luthor, Brainiac, Mr. Mixel Spitlick, Terra Man, the Toy Man, the Parasite, Amalok, the Prankster, and the Kryptonite Man, formerly known as the Kryptonite King, when they convened together inside his apartment. What? Now, as Superman discovered, the reason for why he seemed to lose his powers when he was Clark Kent was not psychological, but rather all of the suits in his apartment, his Clark Kent suits, had been chemically contaminated. Ooh. And Superman soon pieced together the culprit was his mysterious next-door neighbor, Mr. Xavier, who was in actuality an alien agent of destruction sent to demolish the Earth in a 30-year time period by a cutthroat intergalactic transportation company. Someone had read <laughs> The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, I'm going to say. I was going to say, is he bald and in a wheelchair? <laughs> Worse still... By luring Superman, excuse me, luring Superman to his apartment by conjuring the assemblage, it was only an image of the mm. villains. Xavier had exposed Superman to potent energies that would cause his body to erupt in an explosion and destroy the world once he had defeated the last of the villains. Now, Xavier teamed the villains and spared them off to a faraway location to give himself enough time to leave Earth prior to his own detonation. But luckily for the human race, Superman because he's Superman, realized what Xavier had, <laughs> he realized what Xavier had done, and before it was too late, he managed a way to down the nine villains and to catch Xavier without annihilating the planet. And thus ends the story, who took the super out of Superman? Now, Ashley, let's talk about this question here. Yeah. Who is the real identity? Is there a real identity? Is the question mute, Clark or Superman? Is this not even a question? Let's well, talk about this whole let's talk about this whole rigmarole right here. Ultimately, with all with all characters of dual personae, and that's not just superheroes. Superheroes are just the easiest representation of that, right? Um, that can be detectives, that can be like any any character can have multiple personality facets, right? But for superheroes in particular, um, the answer is both, right? Because we are complex human beings and they are reflections of us. Therefore, they are also complex human beings. Uh, but with Superman, I always came down more on the argument of it's Clark Kent. Like he is the farm boy from Kansas. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, whereas with Batman, I understand the debate a little bit more. But with Superman, I'm like, no, he's he's Clark. Like Clark is who this man is. So I don't know if you have any different feelings. Uh, it's so funny because I kind of believe the opposite. I believe that Superman is actually who he really is. Mm. And Clark is sort of a persona that he puts on. Um, 
because he's not goofy and he's not timid and he's not silly. Superman is who he is. Superman is the Clark that came from Smallville. He is timid, though, because, like, look at how he treats, like, Lois. Uh, Yes and no, uh, but I... They are both Clark Kent. That mm-hmm. is 100% true. But I do feel that Clark Kent is the exaggerated him. Okay, I, that's fine. Because if you notice for me, it's like every time. Um, now, I'll tell you this. I think he likes being Clark Kent more mm-hmm. than Superman. I really do. I think he likes being Clark Kent more because the things that Clark enjoys mm-hmm. are the normal human things. He likes going to the baseball game with Lois. Yeah. He likes going to the diner. He likes going to see taking a taking John to the fair. He yeah. likes to write. He mm-hmm. likes to do things like that. Whereas like he's happy to help people. But I, I think when he's Superman, every once in a while, you're going to catch a thing where like when it's the seventh emergency of the day, he's a little bit like, <sighs> like, I definitely think he's, I just want to he's more Lois. burdened by being Superman. I agree. Like, I don't think Diana is burdened by being Wonder Woman. I just think Diana's probably the most melded. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I think Batman is just, I think he's Batman. Yeah, Batman's Batman all the time. Yeah, yeah. All right, so let's travel, Ashley, to the far-off world of... The 1980s? 2001. Jason, you just explained these ages to us at the beginning. That's not in this lesson. I'm going to get on Twitter. Well, in Superman number 300, it was a storyline, a fun little imaginary story it's basically if, what if Superman existed in the far off world of 2001? 30 years in the future? Yes. That's like when people set stuff in like. But also. 2025. For us, 20 years in the past. Uh, yes, I meant from like publications. Actually, have you ever imagined what our lives could be like in the world of 2001? That far off age? Uh, y- y- not really, because I was a child. <laughs> And I wasn't thinking too much about it, but I lived it. So now, yes, for everybody listening, I just want to say that this comic was published in 1976. So go with it. Yeah. So uh, it actually opens with the phrase, "It's a bird. It's a stratojet. It's Superman." I mean, I wish. <laughs> let's uh, let's wipe out them Boeing Boeing 737s and get some stratojets going. So the storyline is basically. What if Superman landed in 1976 instead of the 30s? And here's all the changes. Oh, well, that's cool. So his baby rocket falls into the ocean. It's a fight between the USA and the USSR. The USA grabs it. Uh, They raise the super baby in a U.S. military facility. Uh, But they still make him a Superman suit, and they convince him to fight for America, and they name him Skyboy, hence the S on his chest. Good Lord. Yes. When his existence is announced to the world, he becomes a ward of the United Nations, and it basically creates a war where he has to toss all the nukes into space, a la the last Superman movie of Christopher Reeve, Superman 4, The Quest for Peace. Is that the one where he gets drunk and fights people in a bar? That's Superman 3. (laughs) Okay. Now cut to the far off year of 2001, Mm -hmm. where people have floating chairs, and it's not television, it's called Tri-Vision. And Clark Kent is a Tri-Vision reporter. It's called television. Yep. Uh, he's named Clark Kent in this version because he's named for the military people that helped him. One of the guys is like Lieutenant Kent. Is uh, Does he watch Who's Line, which was very big at the time? Not in this universe. Bummer. Drew Carey doesn't survive the apocalyptic war of the <laughs> 1980s. <laughs> That's a joke only for me. Now, eventually an alien appears and he redresses himself as Superman for reasons. And, <laughs> and he helps the world. <laughs> Great. I mean, look, it's not honestly, it's no worse an origin than any other comic. Well, I hope you all enjoyed the uh, fun diversion to the far off world of 2001. <laughs> what a far off place.
I hope our world becomes like that one day. I love it when we can't explain things, so we just go reasons, <laughs> comics. They literally, patriarchy. they li- li- the scene is basically like he's like, I am Skyboy no more. Call me Superman, and you're like, where? Why? It is a better you, name. You never. That name has never come up in the story. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Had you uh, read that issue before doing this lesson? No. no. Okay. Interesting. No, I, I I found it on I found it in my research and I yeah, was like, yeah, oh, yeah. this is gonna be a fun one. Great. So, anyways, so soon back to the non-imaginary world of two thousand and one. Yeah. <laughs> back to the revolving present of Superman. Yeah, Superman soon discovered. That all of Krypton's, oh, excuse me, all of Earth's Kryptons. kryptonite, <laughs> all of Krypton's Earth night. <laughs> I don't know why I switched that. All of Krypton, uh, all of this, damn it, I'm still doing it. All the Kryptonite. Ah, I think I deserve one of these now. <laughs> <laughs> what would Krypton's Earth night look like? What color would it be? It'd be a clot of dirt. <laughs> Just be brown. Okay, so if it's so if kryptonite is green, mm-hmm. right? The most common kryptonite is green across the color wheel. So if we're going by color theory, the complementary or the oppositional Wouldn't color Earth be blue? is red. Mm. So it should be a, a ruby, I guess, or like a red jasper. But you'd call it Earth Knight or, or Earthenite or Terranite, maybe. Terra, maybe Terranite. Krypton Terranite. All right. Anyways, let's move on. Uh, basically, <laughs> Superman found out that all the world's kryptonite had not been turned inert. No Why? kidding. Plot reasons. Reasons. Yep. Comics. Basically. Bronze Age. And back at the Galaxy Building, Morgan Edge, Clark Kent's boss, revealed the identity so, of. So back at the Galaxy's Edge. I'm not going to dignify that with a response. <laughs> I thought you were going to give me another sad trombone. No, 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 no. <laughs> uh, and back at the Galaxy Building, Morgan Edge unveiled the identity of Clark Kent's new co-anchor, Lana Lang. Hell yeah! Ashley, who is Lana Lang? Uh, Lana Lang is Superman's childhood best friend slash first girlfriend in my head canon. He is, she is his first girlfriend. Um, his first many things, and uh, she does briefly become a reporter during this. I remember this from the Lana Lang episode. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, she's a babe. I love Lana. I love Lana as well. And to end the Bronze Age of Superman, we need to talk about the last Bronze Age adventure with Batman in World's Finest number 323, which has a cover date of January 1986. But if you know cover dates, they're always three months ahead. So mm-hmm. technically it takes place in 1985. I know, I know, but it still counts. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Basically, this is a wacko story, by the way. World's Finest is a trip, man. Superman is attacked in space by a villain called Nightwolf that looks like he belongs on an episode of Yellowstone. (laughs) I'm not joking. Uh, Maybe Ashley should share a picture of Nightwolf. That might be a funny thing. Peacock, you want to sponsor us? Anytime. Nightwolf threatens to kill Superman, and Nightwolf's mentor arrives out of nowhere, (laughs) and he's like a, a Native American shaman. Sure. And this shaman... Beats Nightwolf off up only to reveal that it's secretly Batman in disguise. When Superman wakes up from all this, Batman chides Superman, saying that I won't always be there to save you, and you need to leave the night to experts. Oh, for God's sake. And he leaves, and their bond of friendship ends as the two of them officially head into Crisis on Infinite Earths. That's... Kind of a bummer. I... (laughs) I was going to say that's terrible, but I don't want to disrespect the people who worked on that issue. Well, when we get to Batman, or excuse me, Superman, the Dark Age, yeah, yeah, yeah. a lot of the early 
dark age storylines, especially the 90s storylines, they it took a long time to get around. It took till the year 2000 mm-hmm. for Batman and Superman to be best friends again. Yeah, that's true. Because they were that Batman Superman series. Because it was the Batman Superman which series, which is great. Which is great. Series. But we a, talked about a lot on the Supergirl. But a lot of it, it, a lot of the 90s, as you will learn, is a like is Batman being super like, dick Batman. Is Batman like I'm not friends with you? Yeah. We work together. Yeah. That's but a bummer. Though. <laughs> it is a bummer. But that's not how I'm going to end the Bronze Age. Because I can't end the Bronze Age without telling you about the story of when Superman met the champ, Muhammad Ali. I was wondering if we were going to get to this. And you talked about the man that he fought all night. Uh, uh, This is... The champ is here. The champ is here. An all-time iconic cover. Yep. Um, You want to invest in comics? This is a good one to invest in. It is a good one to get. No, I'm not going to... Um, I am going to tell you everything in the storyline, but not every single thing. I am mm-hmm. going to paraphrase some things, but enough. Uh, we're going to talk about this for a bit because actually I don't think you've ever read it. Have I you? have not. No. Okay. So by the late 1970s, Superman had been paired in the comic pages with real life American icons like John F. Kennedy, Steve Allen, Bob Hope, Jerry Lewis, Alan Funt, Don Rickles, and Pat Boone. Ashley, please explain who every one of those are. No, 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 please don't. Uh, American icons. Yeah. Oh, well done. Thank you. Well done. Now, I was like, I don't, I know most of those people. Superman meets Muhammad Ali suffered numerous delays. It was originally going to be published in fall of 1977, but it didn't get published until spring of 1978. Mm. And by the time the book Sounds was like published, Muhammad Ali was no longer the heavyweight world champion. Well, he's still an icon. Yep. But here's the fun fact. He had been been dethroned by Leon Spinks, excuse me, in February of 1978. And in that year of 1978, in September, Ali, Muhammad Ali, Cassius Clay, Mm -hmm. would reclaim the title. So he lost it and then reclaimed it again. Here's the story. It is bonkers, yet kind of fun. I also believe there have been several statues slash action figure combos of this cover. Uh, there is, here we go, action figure spotlight. I need, I need a theme song for action figure spotlight. Here we go, action figure spotlight. There is some amazing, I believe they're made by NECA action figures of Superman and Muhammad Ali like the cover and they are shell, they are cell shaded like I know the exactly Neil what Adams you cover. mean, yeah. They are fan Fantastic. Uh, we'll share some of that on our Twitter over mm-hmm. at GHL Podcast. But let's talk about the book. Yes, an, let's. an alien visitor named Ratlar is the maniacal leader of a species of aliens called the Scrub. <laughs> Under the claim that Earthlings are dishonorable and they're aggressive and they pose a potential threat to his people, the Scrub, he demands that Earth's greatest champion fight the greatest Scrub fighter, the behemoth known as, now it's spelled, H-U-N apostrophe Y, which I'm going to call Honey. Yeah. So Superman and Muhammad Ali both come forward to volunteer for this battle. However, Ali argues that Superman is not really of Earth and actually has an unfair advantage in many of his superpowers. And in typical Ali-style verbiage, Superman, (laughs) come for the champ. (laughs) Uh, I can't do as many of the rhymes as Muhammad Ali and I would it would be a shame for me to even try but 
that if you don't know what I'm doing with the 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 bongos, then, then you should do some googling because Muhammad Ali is an incredible figure. I it, will try to find a video of it. Is a very that. famous uh, Muhammad Ali was very well known for his trash talk of his fighters, and he was quite poetic in a lot of it. And he would usually do a bit of it like by by slamming down on tables or slamming down. I mean, on yeah, the boxing it's room. basically like poetry, yes. beat poetry. So, uh, in this book, he basically takes Superman down a peg and (laughs) and says that he should be the champion for Earth. Intrigued by Muhammad Ali's poetic trash talk, (laughs) Rawlar decides that, you know what? Superman and Ali should fight one another to determine who should be Earth champion. And to make the fight fair, he decrees that the match should take place on his home planet, Bodachi, which orbits a red star. Now, why is that important to Superman? Superman gets his powers from our yellow sun slash star, a red sun, which I believe is what Krypton had, uh, doesn't give him the same amount of power. So he's basically as powerful as a human. Correct. So this would make the winner simply the best boxer. Mm-hmm. The two would-be champions decide that Ali will train Superman in the finer points of boxing because obviously Superman doesn't know boxing to make it as fair as well. Yes, which becomes a plot point much later when Superman doesn't know martial arts. Either. Exactly. And also it makes it very fair and also goes to prove why Muhammad Ali was a true champion mm-hmm. because he decided, you know what, I'm going to make this even more fair for Superman because who doesn't know boxing? Yeah. I mean, and if he's the greatest, he'll defeat him no matter how much training he has. Exactly. Absolutely. And that's what Muhammad Ali wants fair fight. Yep. Now. Eventually, the Superman versus Muhammad Ali match is broadcast on intergalactic television to thousands of other worlds with Jimmy Olsen, Superman's pal, acting as the broadcaster, which I love. Aw, Jimmy. And the match is underway, and it soon becomes apparent that Ali is going to kick Superman's ass. Well, he floats like a butterfly and sings like a bee. Superman takes a serious pummeling, and Ali is crowned Earth champion, set to face the big fighter, Honey. Now... (laughs) Look, I've never heard this word said out loud. No, I'm no, no. Honey. I've, I've never. It's just funny. Um, it's just funny. It might be Hanya. There's an A in it, but I'm just gonna call him Honey. It's fun. Once the match begins, however, Ali quickly starts to suffer from fighting the superpowered Honey. Mm. Meanwhile, during this fight, Superman has recouped. He has a recovery, and he actually steals a scrub command ship and sabotages their space armada because he learns that the scrub are just gonna invade Earth anyway. How like an alien. Miraculously, Ali gets a second wind. And in... Now, if you don't know anything about Muhammad Ali, you should know this. Muhammad Ali would sometimes predict what round he would Mm -hmm. take down his opponents. Now, when fighting Hunya, or Honey as I like to call him, Ali in the book said, I'm going to take him down in the fourth round. And in the fourth round, Muhammad Ali gets a punch, knocks Honey out of the ring, and knocks him out winning the fight. But after witnessing Superman's decimations of their space armada, the scrub leader cries foul. And this is, excuse me, this is, I got a little bit ahead of myself. This is when he uh, decrees that I'm going to blow up Earth. Mm. Just as Ratlier is about to give the go ahead to his backup forces, his own champion, Hunyi, becomes enraged at Ratlar's tragedy and deposes the leader, stopping the annihilation attack because he was like, why would we attack someone who is honorable Mm-hmm. A planet that's honorable because of Muhammad Ali and Superman. Superman is rescued. Honey, the new scrub leader, makes peace with Ali, Superman, and Earth. And the very end of the book shows Ali and Superman in a private moment. And Ali reveals that he has figured out Superman's secret identity as Clark Kent and vows to keep it secret. And the book ends with the two champions embracing and Ali proclaiming, Superman, we are the greatest. 
And that, That's my friends, kind of awesome. It's a great book. Yeah, it's a little goofy. Better than I expected, but it, though. But it's a great. If you know anything about Muhammad Ali, it's actually like a sweet and well done book. Nice, very uh, nice. And Muhammad Ali is a champion. Go Google him. He is a, a historical figure that is well worth doing some research on. Absolutely. And my friend, we end the Bronze Age with Superman being declared the champion. Because that's a better ending than him going boo-hoo-hoo with Batman. And that is the end of Superman, the Bronze Age. Good job. And now we move into... Where, if you go to geekhistorylesson.com slash recommended reading, we have these cool little Amazon widgets. They go all the way back to the very first zero episode. And we recommend stuff that you can read if you want to learn more about Superman in the Bronze Age specifically. Still a little bit of money from Jeff Bezos' pocket to put it in our so we can keep having celebrity boxing matches at the Mind University. Yes, that is correct. The very first one that is going on there is the book I just talked about, Superman versus Muhammad Ali, the deluxe edition. They made a hardcover version of this book about Three or four years ago, it's beautiful. It's it's, it's amazing. The quote unquote single issues, which has very rarely been out of print. There's well, always yeah. a collection mm-hmm. or a treasury edition of it that you can find. Yes, because it's iconic. Yes, and secret of the cover, uh, many of the DC employees and famous celebrities mm-hmm. that existed in the time are on the crowd on the cover. Um, if you've never read it, I highly recommend it. I mean, there's no there's no bigger Superman Bronze Age book than Superman versus Muhammad Ali. Yeah, very. My second choice is Superman in the 70s. It is an out-of-print book, but you can find it used, and it's a lot of stories of the 70s, as the 70s took place in most of the uh, dark, uh, uh, excuse me, excuse me, the Bronze Age. I believe, I could not confirm, I believe that the storyline that we talked about that we really loved, who took the super Mm -hmm. out of Superman, Superman is in that trade, and it's like the only place it's ever been published. Of course it is. Uh, My last choice is Action Comics, 80 Years of Superman, the Deluxe Edition. Now, this has many different periods of Superman, but I have this hardcover. It's great, and it has some really good Bronze Age issues in it. And you used it a lot as a jumping off point for your research for this episode. I used it for research in this thing. I don't think I talked about any of the specific issues in it. That's okay. But um, I, I read it as some research. So, let's go into the discussion. Yes, what are we uh, going to discuss? Well, we're going to talk about some things. I thought you were going to explain what the discussion is. Oh, it's where we discuss more things. I know, it's very simple, you know. Uh, Anyways, (laughs) Ashley. Yeah. For you, Mm -hmm. just found out about the Bronze Age. How familiar, let's get this out of the way real quick. How familiar with Superman in the Bronze Age were you before this lesson? Uh, Almost not at all. Okay. You've. I was aware of some of the broader. I knew he became a TV news anchor. Mm-hmm. I knew he did fourth world stuff. And I I know about the Muhammad Ali issue. Yes. Okay. So you've now heard Superman the Gold Age, mm-hmm. Superman the Silver Age, and Superman the Bronze Age. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you say is the main differences between Superman the character in the Silver Age and Superman the character in the Bronze Age for you? Interesting. Um, the Bronze Age, because I would say... I know we're going by this dark age and modern age thing. It's only, you know, and I will I will caveat that. Here's my caveat. I will only caveat this here because I went with dark. I don't like the term dark age. I don't either. I went with it because I do 100% think that. Totally, I think it's accurate. Calling the modern age from 1985 to now is ridiculous. It's too long, but I feel like the sensibility that we have in comics right now starts with. I would, to be honest. Crisis with, on Infinite Earth. I would almost call it the speculator age. Yeah, or but, maybe the indie age, but but I went with dark age because many different uh, comic journalism sites, yes, yeah, many yeah, different yeah, yeah. forms, yeah. many 
if there can be such a thing in comic book historians, we're just not all, far, they all agree in the dark age. We're not far enough away from it to have an official name yet. But Agreed. what is what is interesting to me about the Bronze Age in particular is that um, you see all of these characters, um, ma- they're maturing. Yep. And I don't mean that they are literally getting older, but because Superman's been like 35 forever. Um, I don't know how old Superman is. I, for me, he's consistently 35. I think that's what you said in your timeline, right? I actually think I, I in my timeline, I made him 48 because John Kent ruins that. Well, John does <laughs> if John is 10. I yes. like the idea that, that Superman is, is always in his, like his mid 30s, mid to late 40s, 30s, excuse me. Yeah, he's, he's a, somewhere between he's 35 a little and younger than Batman. Because I like, I like, but I like that Superman's been around for a while because I like the idea that younger heroes look up to him. Mm-hmm. But um, the thing about. Is they, is they mature, and this is where you see, even though the Comics Code Authority is still around, um, you do see boundaries in the types of stories that can be superhero stories starting to get pushed here. And that's what I think is very interesting about the Bronze Age is I would have said um, before maybe the last couple of years that, that, that the Dark Age is where we really see like a rejection of the Gold and Silver Age, but I think it starts with these comics in the seventies leading into the eighties, because, but with Superman in particular, I think it's, we are shaking off the traditional trappings of Superman and we're trying on different things. We put him against this cosmic, um, these cosmic gods in space. We, we moved him up to television. We made him a producer. We let him and Lois have a relationship. Like we are seeing Superman do things that maybe weren't traditionally thought of as Superman. Yes. What stands out for you? Uh, he's more man than Superman. Mm-hmm. It's the first time that it's the first he's human. It's the first period of Superman comics that focuses on Clark Kent and the man and the emotion inside. than just the guy who can punch planets and is trying to be. There is a term called super dick. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Where in, and that refers to Superman constantly tricking Lois Lane. I think this this is this is the period that marks the transition the death of Super Dick to the Superman that we know. Mm-hmm. The Silver Age yes. Superman, the silly goofy Superman dies in this period. Yes. Uh yeah, this Superman feels almost modern, almost yep. like the Superman that we would see now. And that's interesting and it is interesting through the lens of history, right? Like Jason and I are obviously not alive for this, so we have nothing but hindsight where this is concerned, but it's interesting to like look at it through the lens of modern day and be like this is where it starts. Yep. Cool. Sweet. All right, let's go to the teaching tweet. Ooh, you did a teaching tweet? I, I, I've accepted I've accepted it, and I'm just moving on. Oh, Professor Jason's favorite part of the podcast, where oh, in 240 characters or less, he is going to, actually 180 or whatever, because we go by the original rules. Uh, he's going to sum up. This is why I don't like this section. Everything you just learned about uh, Bronze Age Superman, which you can find this posted on our Twitter at GHL Podcast. Bronze Age Superman, a man of action and emotion, a hero that finally proved that Clark Kent is just a much, as much a hero as Superman. That's it. Nice. Because that's what this period means to me. And now we're going to the honor roll. Yes, what's the honor roll? I'm asking you. The honor roll is where if you go to Apple Podcasts and you leave us a five-star review, we'll read whatever you write. And let me tell you, friends, this week we have somebody who took that to heart. Oh, boy. 
Uh, so gird yourself. Okay. Uh, if you are an international listener, we also really recommend that you do this. Uh, the only problem is we can't see it. So please leave your reviews. Take a screenshot and send them to us at geekhistorylesson at gmail.com. And we'll read them on the air. That is correct. So we have two people joining the honor roll today. And uh, we'll do the good news before the bad news. Oh, boy. First person to join us is Smith1701, who says, Good people I'd like to hang out with. They are a great team, very pleasant to listen to. I always look forward to listening to what you're doing next. Thank you, Smith1701. Thank you. They are also very, very kind. Also joined by GZ underscore 88, who says, Great show. Jason Inman always makes a joke of Ashley's episode, always interrupting and making jokes. I guess. But they gave us five stars, and we said if you gave us five stars, we'd read whatever you wrote. So thank you for bumping us in the algorithm. This is all you get. I will also say, Jason and I are not perfect human beings. We thank everyone who listens. Hey, I, And we I, welcome your honest opinion. What's his name? Jeezy underscore 88. Hey, Jeezy. Thanks for... Thanks for the five stars. Thanks for, five thanks for five listening. Stars. Um, I'm surprised there's 85 people that wanted that name. Yeah, there's 87 people who wanted that name. Oh boy, um, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't get the interrupting thing. I don't either. I don't understand it. Do I? This is just the way we just we just talk. Just the way we talk. We talk like this. Also, thank you, but I don't need to be protected from Jason. What? I don't. Wait, stop! I gotta interrupt you. <laughs> Thank you both for those five Thank stars. Thank you so much. Uh, a little bit of real talk. Welcome to real talk. Also, look, if you're going to rib us, we're going to rib back. Hey, it's, it's just fine. playful. It's all good. Yeah, whatever. Uh, thank you so much for uh, leaving us five stars. Welcome both of you into uh, the, teacher's the teacher's lounge, lounge of the Mine University. Um, over in the corner, there is a display set up. Made of popsicle sticks. Somebody made a popsicle stick display of the Superman versus Muhammad Ali fight. And weirdly, weirdly, it was Professor Magan, Elliot S. Magan. And this is why this is weird. Because Professor Magan teaches dental hygiene. So I don't don't know why popsicle sticks. Don't get it. But uh, you can view it. Maybe they're tongue depressors for holding your tongue down. Don't touch my apple in the fridge. Uh, So... Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast everywhere you can listen on Spotify, SoundCloud, and all those places. Click follow, click download. Mm-hmm. That way you don't miss every episode. And uh, hey, do us a favor. If you like this episode, or you know a Superman fan in your life, email them this episode and say, hey, you should check out this podcast. If you know a Superman fan that is not listening to our show, I guarantee you they'll love the Bronze Age. And you know, you help out the Mind University. And we will thank you for it. So um, don't also, if you want to suggest future lessons like Superman the Dark Age. If you want us to get to Superman the Dark Age as fast in less as than a hundred episodes. You can go do that where, Ashley? The best place to do that is geekhistorylesson.com, Facebook.com slash geekhistorylesson, or on Twitter at GHL Podcast, because Geek History Lesson was too many letters. That's right. And don't forget to follow us. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Jawin. That's J-A-W-I-I-N. You can follow Ashley on Instagram and Twitter at Ashley V. Robinson. And also, don't forget to check out our Patreon over at patreon.com slash Jawin. Uh, this week's episode of GHL Extra that you can only hear on the Patreon and for your support is uh, we're going to be talking about high selling and popular Bronze Age comics. It'll be interesting to see what other comic books were popping mm-hmm. at the time of Bronze Age Superman. What his competition was, yo. Yeah. All right. Now we're to hashtag stick around.
the final section of the podcast where we see if you stuck through the plugs. Ashley. Yeah. Do you like the idea of Clark Kent as a television anchor? I don't dislike it. I don't think Clark Kent is the kind of person who would really want to be on camera, though. I agree. Um, I actually... Hold on, I gotta interrupt you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> proceed, proceed. That's very funny. That'll never not be funny. I know. <laughs> uh, um, I actually really like the modern conceit that he is a blogger or that he he works in a more digital sphere. Yeah, they did that in the New 52. Yeah. Yes, Uh I understand we want to keep him working with the Daily Planet, um, but I think that that's an interesting evolution. But I appreciate that we did have him as an anchor and as a producer and that we let him do something different. Well, and that, I think it was very innovative for the time. That would have been the height of broadcast news. Who would have been the hot news anchors in the 70s or 80s? Um, I think Cronkite would have still been around. Iconique. Let, uh, let me see what... Oh. You don't have to... Google it. If you don't want to. I only know Canadian. Reporters. I'm actually very curious about who, in terms of Americans, who that would be. Uh, biggest TV brought news people. What would you say? News, news an- anchors. News anchors of the 1970s. It's an exciting of the, of the Bronze Age of comics. Of the Bronze Age. <laughs> Google's like, what the hell does that mean? Um. Mm. I, I, it's hard. There's, That's fine. That's there's fine. no answer here. This is not. You were not alive in the 70s, so it's not fair of me to ask, to be fair. I mean, Walter Cronkite is on there. Great. What's the heme? Heme. Peter Jennings is on there. Oh, sure. Henry Reasoner is on there. I don't know who Henry Reasoner is. That's a great name. Ted Koppel. Yep. Is on there. Uh, Hugh Downs, who is a very big, mm-hmm. uh, I, now that I remember that. Uh, Leslie Stahl. I don't know. Cool. Much people. Wow. I learned something. Yeah. There you go. I think it's Cronkite. Uh, I agree. Uh, Him being a broadcaster is a bad idea for a guy with a secret secret identity. identity. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of like the idea of him being a news producer. That makes sense because Mm -hmm. it's something that he would be able to do, but it would allow him to work in television. You know, I kind of felt... I kind of felt like Lois would be the more appropriate one to be the online... uh, broadcaster but um i'd also like to mention this and jason didn't ask me to do this but in Uh-oh. uh Uh-oh. you know in, in your in your book super best friend you also sort of taken uh, an exploration of what a superman type character's relationship to the media is like that is correct that's what that whole book is that, yeah. that the whole crux of that story is the public perception mm-hmm. of superheroes and the public perception of superhero fandom yeah. it's a big it's and I think a lot of people won't realize that when you get, because the intention is to get six issues. Mm-hmm. And I think when I get to the end and if you're in the far future, you've already read the end. Yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, when I'm recording this, I'm, I haven't written issue mm-hmm. six yet. But yeah, I think people will see that it is sort of like, yeah, it is my take on modern superhero fandom and the, the good and the bad parts of that. Yeah. So there you go. There's a little super best friend uh, added Easter egg. Well, my my Superman character in that uh, Captain Terrific mm-hmm. is a he is a book editor. He's a book publisher. Yes, he is. So he works in publishing, but he's more and he doesn't want to write. He wants to edit. That's his idea. He's mm-hmm. not the writer. He's not the creative. He is the He's the adjuster. Almost. He's the adjuster. Yeah. yeah. That's what he wants. He's the do. finesser of stories. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Yeah. I just, that thought just occurred to me as we were talking about. Superman. Well, thanks for the plug. You're welcome. Yes. All right, Ashley, why don't you uh, close up the podcast for us? 
Okay. Uh, you already said the social media handles. So I say I'm Ashley Victoria Robinson. Well, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. There you go. You got to thank the listeners. You say I'm Jason Inman. And then I say, well, you don't have to Professor do all of it. Jason, would you please dismiss the class? Oh, I didn't. I didn't intend for you to take all of it on here. <laughs> okay, keep, I'm just gonna. Um, no, you could just. And then, and then you say, uh, "I'm Jason." Insert whatever Bronze Age joke you made at the beginning, Inman. And uh, class is now dismissed. You filthy animals! Watch out for Sand Superman. Oh yeah. <laughs>